thought I'd be waiting up when you came home last night You'd been out with all the boys and you ended up half tired But liquor and love, they just don't mix, leave the ball or me behind And don't come home a drinking with loving on your Saturday, 12.01 p.m. It is October 8th, 2022. I hope you guys are having a great week. It is BK here coming at you from San Diego, California. Check out my Twitter for breaking news throughout the week at Bravo Kilo Actual. And you can DM me any great news and audio clips on Instagram as well at BK Actual. Coming to you guys, like I said, about tw- just afternoon, 12.01 p.m., uh, just a f- two quick announcements. Possibly no podcast next week. I'm, I'm trying. I'm going to try to get to it, but I've just got a ton of stuff going. I might not be able to. And here's a little teaser for you, my other announcement. BK, I think this is probably the only, the second time I've had to say this. Passed along fake news. That's right. And I will get to that in a moment. There's your teaser, but let's get right into it and start in Thailand, where a gunman did attack that child care center and 36 people were killed, including 20 children. This is the deadliest mass shooting in Thailand ever carried out by a lone perpetrator. The attacker then killed himself afterwards. His wife and their son. And yes, extremely sad, at a daycare center, no less. This was a recently fired police officer. He was armed with a handgun and a knife. Um, And let me update that, because there are updates in this story. 24 of the 36 people were um, children, to be precise. And the youngest victim who was killed was two years old, and a teacher who was eight months pregnant was also killed. <clears throat> this was in the uh, Nongbua Lamfu province. And just really, really terrible thing here. Also, about there were about 10 other people who survived but were wounded. The gunman has been identified as 34-year-old Panya Kamrab. And this exceeds the death tolls of some of the deadliest school shootings in the United States. As a matter of fact, all of them. 26 people, including 20 children, were killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012. And then 19 children and two adults were killed just recently in Uvalde, Texas in May. Now, this came almost two years exactly after that mass shooting at the Thai shopping mall and army base. Do you guys remember that one? I know you longtime listeners did because I definitely covered that. That one was by a soldier. He killed at least 29 people. And, uh, yeah, this has kind of uh, prompted a lot of soul-searching in Thailand. They don't really have, uh, you know, drills to respond to these shootings. That's not part of the culture like it is in, in America. And there's not much in the way of mental... Healthcare. So this guy, like I said, was a former police officer. The Royal Thai Police confirmed that Panya had been fired in June for possession of meth, methamphetamine. And he was set to go on trial for that Friday, yesterday. And the 9mm pistol he used in the attack was legally owned, according to the police. So I've got a few tabs open on this. I'm going to kind of move around a little bit. But this was one of the world's most deadliest shootings. And 
Uh, I'm just uh, looking down here through this one. And, you know, people are, like, freaked out over there. There's grieving family members gathering outside the daycare center all week long. And, you know, a string of deadly episodes involving the security personnel trained with firearms has kind of alarmed Thailand. So, you know, I, I already mentioned uh, the mass shooting by a soldier. And then we had that police lieutenant general who opened fire in a military school in Bangkok last month. He killed two people. They believe mass shootings as something from far away. <laughs> One guy says, like in the United States, of course. And Thailand is considered one of the safer countries in the world. And they are now struggling with societal ills over there. COVID-19, of course, did not help. But suicides, drug use, and personal debt loads has soared. And while Thailand's public health care system is generally strong, and only 2.3% of the government's health expenditures go to mental health. There are only 656 psychiatrists and 422 psychologists in the entire nation. And I'm just looking here to see if they put in the population of Thailand with that. They do not. Come on, New York Times, you better than that. Because I don't know the proportion. Oh, here we go. 70 million people in the majority Buddhist country. And they're having a, a, a huge drug problem as well. You guys might have heard about the Golden Triangle. That is the border zone of Thailand, Laos, and Myanmar. And it's really a, completely lawless. This is where many of the world's synthetic drugs are churned out by these warlords, kingpins, mostly in Myanmar. Of course, in Myanmar, again, if you've been listening, you know they had the army coup in Myanmar in 2021. And since that happened, drug production in the Golden Triangle has intensified. They're calling it a, a, a literal flood of drugs. And they said this cop had a history of using drugs. You know, Thai police officers tend to be poorly paid. Critics of the system say that the low salaries can give rise to corruption. And there seems to be a sense of impunity among high-ranking police and army officers. That breeds a sense of resentment among the rank and file who feel pressure to, you know, basically toe the line, listen to everything their commander says. So now they're asking why and how could this happen? How did it get to this? So I'm going to go over quickly. What about the guns? I'm always interested in the gun laws. There were more than 10.3 million privately owned firearms in Thailand as of 2017. Only about 6 million of those guns were registered. So the rate of private firearm ownership in Thailand that, uh, in 2017 worked out to about 15 guns for every 100 private citizens. Do you guys think that's more or less than the United States? <laughs> of course, it is far less. You know what our rate is? 120 guns per 100 people. <laughs> and that was as of 2017, so pre-pandemic. I bet that is fucking skyrocketed since then as well. You know, all the violence. Remember the George Floyd riots, Black Lives Matter riots, and, and people were buying guns like fucking crazy. So uh, Thailand does have some of Asia's highest rates of both gun ownership and gun homicide. So gun laws are relatively strict with possession of an illegal firearm carrying a prison sentence of up to 10 years and a fine of about uh, $535 U.S., 
To obtain a gun license, ties must undergo a background check that considers income and criminal history, and you have to give a reason for ownership, such as hunting, sport shooting, or self-defense. But the Thai authorities don't really have accurate records of the huge numbers of weapons in the country's southernmost provinces bordering Malaysia, and that border is where an ethnic Malay Muslim insurgency has been fighting security forces for years. Attacks there often come in the forms of drive-by shootings, ambushes of security checkpoints, and bombs targeting military outposts, malls, hotels, other places like that. In 2019, in that region, it's called the uh, southern province of Yala, a gunman killed at least 15 people at a security checkpoint there. And uh, those gun laws do have loopholes for police and soldiers as well. Remember, he the, the gunman bought the 9mm pistol uh, legally. And such buyers, soldiers and law enforcement, do avoid some of the checks that apply to civilians. And one would presume that Panya Kamrab, the shooter probably was not checked out his background because they would have found that he was about to go on trial for fucking meth possession. So there have also been cases in which Thai police bought firearms and then turned around and sold them to civilians. In 2019, a police captain in a city near Bangkok was arrested and charged with buying nine millimeter pistols through official channels and then turning around and selling them for a few hundred dollars a piece. So those, some of those loopholes, they make it easier for officials to register firearms. Some of those officials don't have to pay import tax, and they can buy guns directly from the same government body that issues the firearm licenses. So a lot of people are now uh, looking askance, great word, at these gun laws. So there you go, the Thai shooter update. I know the story's a few weeks old, but guys, hey, the podcast is only once a week, and we got to cover the big ones. But as long as I'm on the subject of Thailand doing a huge about-face, yes, many of you sent this to me, let us talk about the surgeons in Thailand who had to call in firefighters to cut off a metal ring from... Where do you think they had to cut it off from, you guys? Yes, it was attached to a man's penis where it had been stuck for over four months. The patient, who is not named, said he put the ring around his genitals in a bid to do what? Yes, try to grow it bigger. But instead of having the desired effect, the ring cut off the circulation to the man's genitals. It took cops and firefighters, EM, first responders, whatever, over an hour using power tools and welding cutters to remove the metal ring. Uh, the doctor said the ring may have led to an amputation had it been stuck on any longer. So apparently they're optimistic with their prognosis. Uh, the One of the surgeons involved said the patient said he had been using rings on his penis for four years, but this was the first time it was a problem. Wow, four months, dude. Yeah, they, they do not say directly, the doctor, like, well, we, we think he's going to make a full recovery. But they did say that, you know, any longer and it would have had to be amputated. So we'll see. Now let us go to another mass shooting. And you guys probably saw some of this on a video on social media. I know some of you sent it to me. Let's go to Mexico. 
gunmen killed 20 people, including the mayor, in an attack on a Mexican town. If you guys watch those social media videos, it's crazy. Like, dudes are, like, running out of the cars in, like, full kit, long guns, everything else. And this armed group was wearing ski masks, driving two SUVs. They killed Conrado Mendoza and his father, Juan Mendoza, that is the mayor and former mayor, respectively, of San Miguel Totolapan. Most of the 10 victims identified by authorities were members of the local government. The attack involved two criminal groups known as the Familia Michoacan and the Tequileros, the latter of which, for a while, controlled the sale of heroin poppy in the area. So this is coming after that huge wave of gang violence we've talked about pretty much during the month of August that uh, you saw cartel henchmen putting cars to the torch in Colima State after the arrest of their leader and narcos from the Jalisco Nueva Generacion cartel setting fire to 25 OXO convenience stores in central Mexico following other arrests. And, uh, of course, in Tijuana, right by me, we saw rare outbursts of violence. You don't really see it in TJ that much because they're heavily reliant on tourism from the U.S. border, and even the cartels don't want to upset that apple cart. So pretty scary, though. Mexico is a completely failed state, as I've been telling you for years. And as a matter of fact, another Mexico story, a major hack happened in Mexico. It targeted Mexico's defense ministry. And the details now are shedding light on the country's most secretive and powerful institution, that aforementioned defense ministry. The hack documented its expanding influence over the civilian government, its attempts to evade cooperation on a landmark human rights investigation, and spying on journalists using the spyware known as Pegasus. Detailed in the data breach are the military's own internal probes and suspicions that powerful government officials like state governors and the current interior minister are linked to, shockingly, organized crime networks, including drug cartels. <laughs> Uh, I love how America and Americans and especially the American media, they like pretend that Mexico is like not a failed state, like constantly. Like, remember the orange man? Remember when Trump was like laying the smack down on Mexico and the media was aghast? How, how dare you talk to our partners that way? And I was like, this is, the entire country is controlled by narcos and drug cartels. What the hell are you talking about, dude? Yeah, but, uh, but everybody likes to play pretend. The Mexican military, by the way, has a history of human rights abuses and massacres of civilians. I told you about the missing college students a couple weeks ago. But now journalists in Mexico are searching through this enormous hack. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we go down this. Oh, here we go. I was about to say, how did this actually happen and who released it? Well, the leaks were released by a hacker group known as Guacamaya or Macaw in Spanish and includes some 6 terabytes of data of over 4 million emails. And they did release a manifesto. The hackers claimed they were an anti-imperialist group seeking to protect the environment. It is unknown what country they were operating from, but they did communicate in Spanish. This week, President of Mexico, my man, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador AMLO, he did acknowledge the hack, and said, quote, there is nothing to hide, essay, end quote. The military did not respond to a request for comment. 
Uh, despite warnings from politicians and analysts that the military, the Mexican military, is becoming too powerful under AMLO, the Senate did vote this week to renew the military's role as Mexico's lead institution in charge of public security. And that bill is now heading to AMLO's desk for him to sign it. Um, a research institution in D.C., uh, said that Mexico's armed forces are known as the least transparent institution in all of Mexico. And these leaks come at a critical time as, you know, AMLO is getting ready to deepen the military's involvement in civilian life and institutions. So the leaked emails did reveal that the military, again, was using Pegasus. Pegasus is an Israeli spyware. And it uh, the, the military used Pegasus to infect the phones of journalists and an activist despite AMLO's promises that his government would not use the malware to spy on Mexican citizens. The military also launched investigations into and created files on current and former government officials and their links to organized crime and the drug cartels. For example, the governor of the state of Veracruz, a guy named, ugh, I'm not good with the Aztec spellings, Cuitlahuac Garcia is reported to have links to a powerful cartel. Of course, he denied that accusation this week. In the hacked emails, defense ministry officials accused the current interior ministry, somebody named Adan Augusto Lopez, of giving top security positions to officials linked to organized crime when he served as the government of Tabasco State. Further, the leaks also revealed widespread sexual assault in the armed forces with over 300 military personnel accused of harassment and other rights violations, which the top military brass has kept secret over the years. Remember, shortly after AMLO came to power back in uh, 2019, he dissolved the federal police and he, then he created the National Guard, which he promised would remain under civilian control. However... This year, he then announced plans to incorporate the, that National Guard into the military. And that National Guard was already under the Defense Ministry's control. So, there you go. The email hack displayed for the first time the extent to which the military has used its power and connections to shield itself from oversight in that case of the 43 disappeared students discussed extensively a few weeks ago and yeah they an email as a matter of fact in that case an email detailed an appeal from the current defense minister to president lopez obrador pleading the innocence of a low-ranking captain who is a suspect in that student disappearance the defense minister appeared to support the captain's refusal to cooperate in the government probe Another leaked email sent in 2015 also detailed a top general's request to the defense minister at a time to prevent excavations inside the military barracks where some of the 43 students may have been taken. Uh, just if you didn't listen a few weeks ago, what ultimately happened to most of those students is a mystery. They are believed to be dead and the whereabouts of their bodies are unknown. They did find like one or two of them, I believe, by the side of the road. But the rest of them have disappeared. So, yeah, go check out. This is a very long article at the New York Times. Oh, there is one thing I wanted to get to on this as well. 
contrast to what I always tell you, how Mexico is a failed state. However, it has been a relatively stable nation for decades. I'll get to the word stable, big air quotes there, because of the civilian government's ability to exert its control over the military. That allowed Mexico to avoid the military-led coups that roiled much of Latin America during that time. So when we say stable, yeah, it, it's stable in the same way that, you know, Iraq was stable under Saddam Hussein, right? It was a, basically, it was all, like, very brutal and repressive. Of course, the drug cartels controlling anything, everything. But the top guys were playing ball. So we didn't see these military coups that you saw elsewhere in, like, you know, Guatemala, Ecuador, El Salvador, etc., the military was given that outsized role in public security in 2006 under President Felipe Calderon when he deployed the armed forces across the country to combat drug cartels, which is hilarious because, uh, you know, then later on Calderon is believed to basically been pretty much neck deep with the cartels. So interesting stuff. Our neighbor to the south. I know I spent a lot of time on Mexico, you guys, but I mean, it's right next to us. <laughs> It always blew my mind how much time we spend looking abroad and, you know, Afghanistan and Syria. Like, who gives a fuck what happens? Like, do you care what happens in Syria? I'm going to get to Syria later. I don't care. Who cares? Mexico is 20 minutes away from my front door. I don't get it. Let's go to Ireland now. <clears throat> they had a huge gas station explosion. And when the story first came out, it was like, oh, one person was killed. And I was like, okay, well, now 10 people are confirmed to have been killed, including two teenagers and a younger girl. And this was in the Irish county of Donegal. And the authorities say this appears to be a tragic accident. They do say, finally, this seems to be the final body count is 10. It was the Apple Green Petrol Station on the outskirts of the village of Creeslau. The dead are all from the local area, included four men and three women. Eight other people are being treated in the hospital, but they expect them all to make it. Photographs from the scene showed a two-story apartment block above the gas station store with walls blown out and a partially collapsed roof, debris scattered everywhere. Um, yeah, they, they said this. there's a huge explosion. It was heard from miles around, and... This gas station was also home to the only supermarket in the village, and it was home to a post office and hairdresser, so it would have been really busy. This happened just at the end of the school day in the afternoon, and it's just crazy, man. And no word so far. It's very, very new. This Reuters story was just updated a few hours ago. No word on cause. Um, I mean, if, it, if they think it was in a gas, it, was, it had to be like some sort of fuel leak, gas leak, whatever. Okay, let's keep going. You guys remember the... the I hope you remember. It was only a few weeks ago. Remember the Canada mass killings, the stabbings in Saskatchewan? Yeah, so they've been doing that investigation. These were all the, uh, the stabbings in, on the uh, indigenous areas. So they updated this a little bit. And the police in Saskatchewan said this week that that stabbing rampage last month had been carried out really only by the one guy. Um, so he, he, remember it was the two brothers. So they say really the stabbing rampage was done by Miles Sanderson. He killed not just people on an indigenous reserve and in this nearby village, but he also killed his own brother, Damian Sanderson. 
So they are now raising the death toll to 11 from 10 because now they're adding Damien to the victims. And their evidence suggests that Damien did not commit any of the homicides. Now, that doesn't really mean he's innocent because while 32-year-old Miles Sanderson acted alone in the stabbings, they said that Damien, one year younger at 31, was initially involved in planning the killings. However, police are not providing any further details about the younger brother's role. God, you know, this drives me fucking nuts with cops. They're both dead. We've got fucking 10 people, innocent people dead. Tell us what you know. Like, what's the big fucking see? Every time they do this, I'm, I'm suspicious. Every single time the cops stop talking about some crime... It's like they're they're hiding something that they don't want you to know. What was it this time? Well, it was was he let out of prison early? Was he given a break? Is that what it was? Something like that? I don't know. They the cops say Miles's motive might never be known. Uh, remember this unfolded on September fourth. Uh, in total, twenty nine people were attacked. Eighteen of them were injured. Some remain hospitalized. And. Many members of the James Smith Cree Nation, that's the indigenous community where most of the victims lived and died, say they believe that Damien was killed while attempting to stop his brother's rampage. His body was found in a grass area near a house being investigated as part of the attacks. And um, the James Smith Cree Nation lives on the James Smith Reserve. And here's this is why I don't get this. The the police commissioner doing this press conference, uh, they declined to say if Damien had been slain before the other killings started. Like what? Would, if you don't know, say you don't know. Otherwise, who fucking gives a fuck? You police spokes, and then, you know, and then we are shitty media. You know, they're just like, okay, well, I guess they're not going to tell us. You fucking go, do badger them night and day. They used interviews with 250 witnesses along with forensic evidence and DNA analysis to determine that Miles had killed his brother. Remember, Miles was arrested after that multi-day manhunt and then that highway chase. Uh, the authorities then said he had gone into medical distress shortly afterward and had been taken to a hospital in nearby Saskatoon where he was pronounced dead. The uh, police spokes ass said that that death was still under investigation by the municipal police in, Sask in Saskatoon. So... Still don't really know. It's still a mystery. What else? I mentioned Syria. Let's go there. We killed some people. Yeah, the Americans uh, fucking took out our big old dicks and fucking went over to Syria and smoked some ISIS leaders. It was two major strikes against the Islamic State in northern Syria. And we did kill three senior figures responsible for arming and recruiting fighters and plotting attacks according to American and Syrian Kurdish officials. So, this was pretty cool. The twin attacks started early Thursday when we had a good old fucking helicopter, fast rope attack, it sounds like. Uh, Special Operations Forces dropped from helicopters in northeastern Syria and killed Rakan Wahid al-Shamari, who facilitated the smuggling of weapons and fighters to support ISIS operations. This was a rare operation inside Syrian government territory. It was only a few miles away from a Syrian airfield where Russian troops are based. Nice. And then several hours later, an Islamic State deputy leader in Syria and a man responsible for the group's prisoner affairs were killed in a U.S. drone strike in the country's north. 
counterterrorism specialist said the American tax will hurt an effort by ISIS to regain momentum in the region. And uh, yes, this is uh, they, they said this was a significant achievement to have killed ISIS's deputy emir. Uh, so given that this is where this is the area of the world where ISIS is, is investing its resources most of these days, even if the Islamic State no longer has the power to control a swath of territory as they used to in Iraq and Syria until 2019, they have shown that they can still carry out coordinated military attacks. In recent weeks and months, ISIS fighters in Iraq have killed Iraqi soldiers and police officers, beheading one officer on camera. In Syria earlier this year, the jihadists attacked a prison in an attempt to free thousands of their former comrades and occupied the compound for more than a week before a Kurdish-led military force supported by the U.S. drove them out. And the American attacks on Thursday came three weeks after the Syrian Democratic Forces, the Pentagon's Kurdish-led allies in the region, completed a weeks-long security operation through the sprawling Al-Hal detention camp in northeastern Syria. Those Syrian Kurdish forces arrested some 300 ISIS operatives living among the camp's 60,000 detainees. Those detainees are like family members of ISIS fighters held there since the fall of the Islamic State in 2019. And they seized more than 50,000, sorry, 50,000, 50 pounds of explosives. No U.S. forces were hurt or killed in the first operation. Oh, no way. Okay, this is just... so, So a Kurdish official kind of talked a little bit about this. And he said, and this is how the New York Times wrote it, which I got really excited about for a moment. The the Kurdish official quoting the New York Times here, quote, said airborne troops landed near a village outside the city of Kamishli before dawn on Thursday, end quote. So at first I thought they were been they jumped in, which would be super fucking cool. But no, they literally mean airborne, like the helicopter carried them in. Syrian state television said that, quote, U.S. occupier forces, end quote, carried out an air assault with the support of the Syrian Kurdish forces and that one civilian was killed and others were kidnapped. Um, they, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said U.S. forces raided a private home, killing a man living there and arresting family members. Um, then... Paramilitary fighters allied with the Syrian government opened fire at U.S. forces who fired back, wounding several of the fighters. Hmm. The Syrian television channel Syria 24 said residents of the village called Milauk Saraya were warned through loudspeakers to remain in their homes with the lights off. All right. One counterterrorism analyst said that this assault was the first known U.S. counterterrorism operation in territory controlled by the Syrian government since 2008. And yeah, that Syrian airfield where Russian troops were located was about 10 miles away. Of course, Russia is a Syrian government ally. And notably, a senior U.S. military official said the U.S. did not use that special hotline to alert the Russians before the nighttime raid. In previous U.S. operations in the country's northwest, military officials have used the hotline to give Russians advance warning 
of a counterterrorism mission that we do to avoid any accidental exchange between the Russians and the Americans. So, very, very good. And speaking of counterterrorism operations, the White House has now tightened the rules on counterterrorism drone strikes. You guys remember that the Trump administration had kind of relaxed these rules, but now President Sleepy Joe Biden has signed a classified policy limiting counterterrorism drone strikes outside of conventional war zones. The policy, which the White House sent to the Pentagon and the CIA on Friday, institutionalizes a version of temporary limits that Biden's team quietly put in place on the day of his inauguration, the day of his inauguration, as a stopgap for reducing risks to civilians while the new administration reviewed the counterterrorism policies it had inherited from former President Donald Trump. A description of the policy, because we don't actually have the policy because it's classified, suggests that amid competing priorities in our world, the U.S. intends to launch fewer drone strikes and commando raids away from recognized war zones than it has in the recent past. And the policy does require Biden himself to sign off on this before a suspected terrorist is added to a list of those who can be targeted for, quote, direct action, end quote. And a return to a more centralized control of decisions about targeted killing operations. Remember, Trump had given commanders in the field greater latitude to decide whom to target. So this is a, known as the PPM, Presidential Policy Memorandum. Again, the, the New York Times, where the story I'm reading right now, they have not seen the actual policy, but it was described to the New York Times by a senior administration official. Hmm. Yeah, I don't care. You know what? Fucking cares. I'm all about the drones, you guys. Like, why, why, why even have them if you're not going to use them? I'd rather you have a drone and a couple operators... You know, than sending 10,000 guys indefinitely to wherever the fuck. And it seems like a pretty cheap. And remember, not to not, if any, lest you accuse BK of being partisan, I highly praised Obama droning the shit out of people. You know, that's why I hate partisan politics. He's, you know, like, you know, like right wing Republicans will, be, you know, bring up like, you know, Obama will come up and they'll be like, oh, you mean Obama who droned all those terrorists? Like, as a gotcha, but I'm like, but that's a good thing. <laughs> you, know? you know? I hate when people, they try to do this gotcha thing. Like, oh, see, look how look how mean and cruel Obama was. And I'm like, but you want to drone terrorists. Does that make sense, you guys? I hate, I hate stuff like that. What else? Let's keep going here. Why not, right? I got two and a half hours to fill. No breaks, no editing. Only fucking guy in the podcasting world who can do this. And yet... I toil along solo, you guys. One-man operation. There's nobody else who can do such a thing. It's just not possible. They need all these fucking, like, producers and editors and fact-checkers and researchers and fucking all kinds of shit, engineers to run their equipment. This is the one-man operation. It's You are witnessing something that will never be done again because nobody else has the chutzpah to pull off something like this. Let's keep going, though, lest I digress. Let's go to North Korea. Yeah, they did it again. They fired off a few ballistic missiles. And this is the 24th weapons test by North Korea this year. And this just come, this comes just days 
after Pyongyang fired a missile over Japan for the first time since 2017. And yes, very good. That you know that by the way that uh, the flight over Japan triggered alarms across Japan's northern regions. God, how scary would that be? So these two were short-range ballistic missiles. They landed on Thursday outside Japan's economic exclusion zone, <laughs> exclusion zone, according to the Defense Ministry of Japan. They said the first missile was launched at 6 a.m. and traveled about 217 miles and reached a maximum altitude of about 62 miles. The second missile was launched 15 minutes later. That one flew close to 500 miles and about 31 miles at its highest. Analysts said the second missile followed what appeared to be a, quote, irregular trajectory, end quote. Some of the short-range ballistic missiles, remember this, that North Korea has tested in recent years were able to change course during flight, which, of course, makes them wildly more difficult to intercept. In brief remarks to reporters, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida of Japan said that the launches were, quote, absolutely unacceptable, end quote. And this comes just a day after the U.S. and South Korean militaries fired four surface-to-surface missiles off the east coast of South Korea in a combined drill. Another South Korean ballistic missile, did you guys see this one? They, 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 their, their missile fell immediately after takeoff during the exercise. They, they essentially missiled themselves. Luckily, that caused no casualties. I wonder if, like, um, I don't know much about missiles. I'm assuming it's much like a just a 203 round where it has to go a certain distance and rotate a certain amount of times before the warhead is armed. Is that true, missile guys? Let me know. So uh, I'm assuming what happened was when they launched that ballistic missile and it immediately fell down to them, perhaps it did not gain the proper speed and rotations and altitude or whatever else it has in order to cause it to erupt. I'm just guessing that. Or maybe the warhead wasn't live and they didn't have a warhead on it. It was just, I don't know. So... Uh, after North Korea's missile tests on Tuesday, the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, the USS Ronald Reagan, was ordered to sail back to the waters off the east coast of the Korean Peninsula. And a lot of people think that North Korea fired these missiles in response to the Ronald Reagan sailing in the waters between Japan and the Korean Peninsula for the first time in five years for joint military exercises uh, last month. So I think that's why they did this. Kim Jong-un is like, oh, yeah, I shoot Misha now. Uh, so he did that. Okay. Let's go. Well, there's a lot going on. So why don't we go right into Russia, Ukraine. Very interesting stuff here. Some rumors abounding. And that, of course, we saw. You guys have all seen the Crimean Bridge video by this time. I'm looking at it right now. And I'm, trucks are going by. I'm looking at the live video here. And kaboom. Yeah, there it goes. So, this was a huge fireball. It consumed two sections of the only bridge linking the occupied Crimean Peninsula to Russia. And it just happened a few hours ago. This is a hugely important supply line for Russian troops fighting in southern Ukraine and is seen as quite an embarrassing blow to the Kremlin. Well, they should be used to that by now. They have been facing continued losses on the battlefield and mounting criticism at home. This is the 12-mile Kirsch Strait Bridge. And the Ukraine government... This is interesting. Now, here's the interesting part. Well, let me get to this in a minute. 
It sent part of the bridge tumbling into the sea, and it killed at least three people, according to Russian authorities, who said a Ukrainian truck bomb had caused the blast. Now, the Ukrainian government applauded the damage, but they did not publicly take responsibility for the explosion, which was neat because now, like I was on Twitter earlier, and you see all the uh, you know official government Twitter accounts of these Ukrainian like defense chiefs and everything else, and they're like making memes. You know they're they're undergoing to the meme warfare, and they're like you know making fun of it and saying like yeah take that, but then they all shut up about it. But one senior Ukrainian official, speaking on condition of anonymity, said that Ukraine's intelligence services had orchestrated the attack. And it involved a bomb loaded onto a truck that drove across the bridge. Remember, this is the New York Times. This is they're, they're very good at this shit, so this is not fake news. And like, and now, okay, obviously the truck the truck driver fucking died in the attack. So there's a couple possibilities. Did they use a robot to drive the truck? I doubt it. So let's presume that somebody was driving the truck. Now I'm seeing like, I, cause I follow a Russian telegram channel, a pro Russian account. So I can you know, see what they're saying. They're claiming that yes. And they agree that Ukrainian special operations people loaded explosives onto these trucks, but they, they're claiming that the driver was ignorant. He didn't know anything about it. And what I read on there was that this truck driver had accepted a job over an email or something like that. Like, you know, here's a job, here's the truck, go drive here. And then he didn't know about the explosives. And then this poor fuck was just driving over the bridge. And then they detonated the bomb remotely, killing this guy. That's kind of fucked up, isn't it? I mean, it's like a, isn't that like, I mean, fucking imagine if we did that in Afghanistan. I don't know. Like, I, you know, I want Ukraine, I hope they, you know, succeed in pushing the Russians out or whatever, but, you know, sometimes there's not a lot to root for. I mean, there's been, like, war crimes, and I'll get to more in a moment, on both sides here, and it's, it's fucking ugly. So, this bridge is pretty new, by the way. It opened in 2018. Now, I did see that the bridge has kind of already, it didn't, like, collapse the bridge. So there's already, like, trucks passing. I did damage part of it, but there's at least, like, one or two lanes open because traffic and is still going across the bridge. Yeah, here we go. Saturday, by Saturday evening, so it's evening there right now, the railroad section of the bridge had undergone repairs, and a train with 15 cars has successfully crossed the, the bridge, and I did confirm that by watching the video on Twitter. Car traffic had also resumed on one side of the bridge as well. So... Yeah, but this is just another symbol of the Russian military in complete disarray. Like, the Russian forces were not even able to protect this bridge, despite it being hugely important to the Russian war effort. I mean, they're resupplying this. If you go look at a map, you guys, you can see it connected to the mainland of Russia, right to the Crimean Peninsula. So any serious impediment to traffic on the bridge would have a huge effect on Russia's ability to wage war in southern Ukraine, where those Ukrainian forces have been fighting that very effective counteroffensive. The bridge is the primary military supply route linking Russia with the Crimean Peninsula, 
Without it, analysts say the Russian military will be severely limited in their ability to bring fuel, equipment, and ammo to Russian units fighting in the Kherson and Zaporizhia regions, two of the four Ukrainian provinces that Putin, by the way, announced Russia had annexed on September 30th. Specifically, Russia said in a statement that a truck had exploded on the automobile side of the bridge, igniting seven fuel cisterns being pulled by a train on a parallel crossing headed in the direction of Crimea. The explosion caused two sections of the bridge to partially collapse. Uh, the Ukrainians in the past have said the bridge would be a legitimate target for a Ukrainian strike. Oh, yeah, here we go. They made no secret of their satisfaction. Mikhailo Podolyak, an advisor to Ukraine's resident, wrote in a Twitter post on Saturday, quote, Crimea, the bridge, the beginning. Everything illegal must be destroyed. Everything stolen returned to Ukraine. All Russian occupiers expelled, end quote. Oh, the president, Volodymyr Zelensky, he seemed to allude to the attack, where he noted in his nightly address to Saturday, quote, was good and mostly sunny day. Unfortunately, it's cloudy in Crimea, end quote. Good, good one. He is a former comedian. Ukraine's domestic intelligence agency, the Secret Service of Ukraine, they're known by their Ukrainian acronym SBU, and it, this is semi-annoying to me. Like, I like memes here, but now, like, everything's, like, a big joke, even in, like, unofficial government, you know, Twitter accounts. And they uh, they issued a statement on Twitter rephrasing a stanza of a poem by Ukraine's national poet, somebody named Taras Shevchenko. And this poem read, quote, Dawn, the bridge is burning beautifully. A nightingale in Crimea meets the SBU. Hmm. Okay, any other updates in fucking... A lot of it's all about the bridge, so I'm just, like, scrolling way down. Oh, here, Russia has named a new commander for the war in Ukraine. They appointed a general with a reputation for ruthlessness and long experience fighting in complex wars. Hmm. This would be 55-year-old General Sergei Surovikin. He was already the commanding officer of Southern Military District. His troops have been facing that fierce Ukrainian counteroffensive. And he will lead now what Russia still calls their special military operation. That's according to the Defense Ministry of Russia, which they put out a statement on. The general has specialized in infantry for much of his career. He has also commanded the Russian Air Force. He led the Russian forces that intervened in Syria starting in 2015. In Ukraine, of course, Russian forces have been especially plagued by an inability to coordinate the infantry, artillery, and air force. And uh, even the head of Ukraine's military intelligence service, General Krylo Budinov, he said, quote, Surovikin knows how to fight with bombers and missiles. That's what he does, end quote. And he's known to be short with subordinates and is known for his temper. Well, I mean, maybe you should have fucking thought of having a guy who was who who was who knew how to coordinate fucking infantry, artillery, and air force before the special military operation. I'm just saying that would be my fucking advice. But who am I? I was an only a fucking lowly fucking jacked and tanned air force commando. What do I know? Okay, anything else? 
a few tangential stories of Ukraine, uh, the Ukraine and stuff. Oh, I wanted to get to this. The U.S., by the way, now believes, shockingly, that the Ukrainians were behind that assassination in Russia. Remember the car bomb a few months ago? It killed that chick. They are Americans are now American officials are claiming they were not aware of the plan ahead of time for that bombing that killed Daria Dugina and that they had admonished Ukraine over it. Oh, yeah, like like they care. You guys stop doing that, mister. Uh, yes, give us more money. We need more javelin. Um, remember Daria Dugina, this car bomb attack was in Moscow, killed Daria Dugina, and she's the daughter of that prominent Russian nationalist who was close, close to, uh, Vladimir Putin. And the U S took no part in the attack, either provi by providing intelligence or other assistance, according to American officials. And they also said they were not aware of the operation. And they said they would have opposed the killing if they had been consulted. Um, the, Assessment of Ukrainian complicity, which had not been previously reported until this week, was shared within the U.S. government last week. Remember, right after the killing, Ukraine denied involvement. Oh, God. <laughs> and I think I said at the time, because I talked about it on the podcast, I was like, well, fucking, of course they did it. Who else would do it? Other than us or Ukraine. It was one of the two. It was no fucking anybody else. Unless you believe in all this, like, false flag nonsense. Not to say that all all incidents, there's there's no such thing as a false flag, but this one, there's there's no friggin' way. Uh, and we were not uh, we, we were not happy with such things. First of all, like if again, if we we're out, we're banned by law for doing stuff like that, uh, especially against a female who is not an enemy combatant. Like some people might say, like, well, you did it to Soleimani. Remember when fucking Trump launched the Ginsu knife at the Iranian fucking general Soleimani, but he had killed. Or been responsible for the death of hundreds of Americans through his funding of car bombs and V-beds and IEDs and all that shit. So yeah, he was a legit military target. So yeah, fucking send the drone. But this is like some chick. Yeah, she's on TV screaming about how you know Vlad is going to bring back the empire, but she's not a combatant. So again, there's no way we would ever do anything like that. I mean, I, I can see us doing a lot of shady shit. That's not something we would do. Um, yeah, so now Ukraine is reaching in to Russia to conduct that sabotage. and the, But the killing of Ms. Dugina is a pretty friggin' bold operation. That showed Ukraine can get very close to prominent Russians. And some American officials do suspect that her father, Alexander Dugina, that's the nationalist guy, was the actual target of the operation, and the, the operatives who carried it out believed he would be in the vehicle with his daughter. He was not. He is alive today. The American officials who spoke about this did not disclose which elements of the Ukrainian government were believed to have authorized the mission, who carried out the attack, or whether President Volodymyr Zelensky signed off on the mission. Well, of course he fucking did. Come on. Now, we do provide Ukraine with real-time intelligence and um, real-time targeting. That's been known since at least May. So we help them zero in on Russian command posts, supply lines, other key targets. But the Ukrainians do not always tell us what they plan to do, of course. The U.S. has pressed Ukraine to share more about its war plans. Um, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. 
Earlier in the war, U.S. officials acknowledged that they often knew more about Russian war plans than they did about Kiev's intentions. All right. Well, they'll take our weapons, though. Um, let me see here. When asked about the U.S. intelligence assessment, this one right now, because now we're saying, yeah, they did it. The, uh, an advisor to Ukraine's president reiterated the Ukrainian government's denials of involvement in her killing. And he said, uh, yeah, he will underline that any murder during wartime in some country or another must carry with it some kind of practical significance. that should fulfill some specific purpose, tra- tactical or strategic. Someone like Dugina is not a tactical or a strategic target for Ukraine. Yeah, they fucked up, dude. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just a really, really interesting shit here. Uh, That's a big deal. What else? Uh, And then speaking of war crimes, Ukrainian police have found the bodies of 534 civilians and evidence of torture in some of that territory they've recaptured. The bodies included 226 women and 19 children. Most of the civilian bodies recovered, 447 of them, were found in one mass burial site in Izium. And the police have also discovered 22 locations that they suspect were used as torture chambers in areas of Kharkiv province that were recently freed from Russian control. And yeah, they're saying that basically Russian units set up these places of detention of civilians and prisoners of war in almost all of the settlements where they were based. Ukrainian troops have captured nearly 500 towns and villages since September 7th in that counterattack that has pushed Russia almost all the way out of Kharkiv province after seven months of occupation. They say the most common torture techniques were electric shocks and severe beatings with sticks and other objects. And there are other cases of fucking the old standby, pulling out fingernails. Wow. Yeah, it's just fucking, this is just, this is like savagery over there. This might as well be, uh, you know, a couple of fucking African nations going at it, you know, like, except they just have better weapons. There's no difference. Uh, and then amusingly, did you see Elon Musk got into it with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president? <laughs> yeah, because um, he had a few posts on Twitter where he, he, like, offered a peace plan, Elon Musk did. He basically said, like, well, he was trying to, like, He likes to tweet, okay, as do most people, but uh, he's a big deal. And he said, do I have the Twitter right in front of me, his tweet? Um, Yeah, basically he was like, he was like proffering a peace plan. So he said something like, you know, how about this? Uh, You know, Russia gets the four provinces and then Ukraine gets this and blah, blah, blah. And everybody, of course, fucking went berserk on him because you're not supposed to say anything about anything other than... You know, Russia must uh, pull out immediately and give back Crimea and uh, go back home. And that's the only thing that's acceptable. So, oh, here it is. Musk said the peace deal, his proposed peace deal, should include a recognition that Crimea, which was illegally annexed by Russia in 2014, is formally a part of Russia. Okay, so he he, he, uh, proffered that Russia should be able to keep Crimea. Crimea has been recognized as a part of Ukraine by the U.S. and other allies since Russia invaded and conducted a referendum. And it was a huge uh, backlash online. Um, He 
he got hit by Ukraine's ambassador to Germany, some guy named Andrzej Malink. He slammed Musk, replying to his suggestions online, saying, quote, fuck off is my very diplomatic reply to you. The only outcome now is that no Ukrainian will ever buy your fucking Tesla crap, so good luck to you, end quote. The funny thing was, Musk posted a poll. You know, you guys can post Twitter polls. You can do that on uh, Instagram, too. And more than a million people voted in just four hours. So... And it was actually very like pretty much fifty fifty. So more people agreed with him than you know than than one might think. Uh yes. And also in the meanwhile, Russia, because they're so busy with Ukraine, they're losing their grip on the old Soviet sphere. You guys saw the you know, you've seen the Azerbaijan Armenia war. You know, remember all that was part of the Soviet Union before. And um you know, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. They've been fucking going at it for a while now. And Russia used to play this big role in the affairs of this because these were like their, you know, their little kids of the great mother Russia, right? But now they're busy in Ukraine. In January, Russia sent troops to Kazakhstan to help the government there calm that wave of domestic unrest. And then in 2020, they sent around 2,000 armed peacekeepers to the Caucasus to enforce a Moscow-mediated truce between that battle between Armenia and Azerbaijan. But... Now, Armenia is in trouble. Their president, Nikol Pashinyan, who has been a close ally to Moscow, he appealed to Russia in vain last month for help to halt the renewed attacks by Azerbaijan. Furious at Russia's inaction, Armenia is now threatening to leave Moscow's military alliance, known as the Collective Security Treaty Organization. That's like the Russian version of NATO. Is that all I got? Um... Yeah, well, let's go from there into uh, some of the other uh, energy-related stuff. First of all, remember the pipeline stuff? We have a little bit of an update on that because they've done some ins inspection. The Swedish investigators, after inve inspecting those two giant natural gas pipelines from Russia, where those leaks occurred last week, they said on Thursday this week, yesterday, or day before yesterday, excuse me, that the leaks were caused by detonations that they strongly suggest were acts of sabotage. These were on the two pipelines, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, built to bring gas under the Baltic Sea from Russia to Germany, and they go right near Sweden and Denmark. Explosions had been detected nearby just before the leaks occurred, and Poland and Ukraine both openly blamed Russia, who has pointed a finger at the U.S., <laughs> Both Moscow and D.C. have issued indignant denials. So the Swedish equivalent of the FBI is known as the Swedish Security Service. Hi, we are the Swedish Security Services. Yeah, it's botched that a little bit. Uh, they, they do think that uh, it was sabotage. A spokesman for the agency said by phone, phone quote, we have been able to establish that there has been the detonations near Nord Stream 1 and 2 in the Swedish economic zone. End quote. I don't know what a Swedish accent sounds like. Come on, give me a break. But, however, I'm pretty sure that's spot on. And then the big story this week was OPEC. Yeah, Saudi Arabia and Russia acting as leaders of the OPEC+. Plus agreed on Wednesday to their first large production cut in more than two years in a bid to raise prices. 
And be, this is because they want to counter efforts by the U.S. and Europe to choke off the enormous revenue that Moscow reaps from their sale of crude oil. Of course, President Biden and European leaders have urged more oil production to ease gasoline prices and punish Moscow for their aggression in Ukraine. And uh, the White House is not happy. Remember, remember when fucking uh, Sleepy Joe, he just went to Saudi Arabia. Remember he gave the big fist bump and the media fucking jizzed themselves? They're like, oh, uh, he's so powerful. It's such a powerful moment you got, seriously. Yeah, well, then the fucking uh, old Mohammed bin Salman MBS <laughs> turned right around and said, yeah, fuck you, dude. Yeah, the White House was not happy. They are cutting about 2 million barrels a day. This is about 2% of global oil production. And by reducing output, OPEC Plus was also seeking to make a statement to energy markets about the group's cohesion during the Ukrainian war. Um, yeah, the price of Brent crude, the international benchmark of oil prices, which had slumped during the summer, rose more than 1.5% right after the meeting. That's fucking great. You know, gas is setting a record here, and I'll get to the gas in domestically in a moment, because it's fucking unbelievable, you guys, what's going on. Remember, I told you a long time ago. This is deliberate policy. They'll never admit it out loud. It's deli- They're all but saying it out loud that they want high gas prices to get you out of your gas car and on the fucking bus next to the masturbating hobo. They, they, they've come out and said it. I don't know what the media still asks. Like, wow, this is so peculiar. Mr. Uh, Boot Edge Edge. Um, if you could take that cock out of your mouth and get over here really cool, we'd love to ask you, why do you think gas prices? And they play dumb. They just play dumb. And Boudet Judge is like, oh, we're we're just doing all we can, Mister. Seriously, we just really are. They don't. They want this. Stop playing pretend. I don't know. I'm fired up today, you guys. I apologize for that. You know, it's just you know. Sometimes I just it's not fair to go after Boudet Judge. You know, the cock in the mouth comment. Come on, BK. <laughs> oh God. Anything else in here? Yeah, so the White House is super pissed at OPEC and uh, fossil fuels again. As a matter of fact, uh, OPEC was firing back. So this was a clip I had. So at the OPEC Plus press conference, you know, after they announced the cut, uh, the Saudi energy, the Saudi energy minister was holding a press conference, and people were asking him questions. So Reuters, a reporter from Reuters, stood up to ask him a question. And uh, he refused to answer, and he kind of went after the reporter. I thought, that, let's hear how it's here. Alex Sula from Reuters News Agency. Um, I had two questions. The so, first is, but no, 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 Alex, I have to talk to you about So you have got it wrong. Okay. <laughs> and you have got it wrong twice. Before I ask a question, I And you will get it three, the third time if you, you know, you did, uh, as Reuters, did not do a proper job. You talked about Russia doing this and that. And actually, the day that your story came out, no one from Russia talked to me, nor I talked to anybody from Russia. You repeated that again with another tale of a story prior to that, that Saudi and Russia, blah, 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 are congregating around $100 price. That is not true. We, and I spent 20 minutes from one of your respected mem- uh, members of uh, your peer in Dubai, explaining to her 
or actually 25 minutes, why we don't go as Saudi Arabia for price targeting. And that 25 minutes went in vain, and I really don't like that. I acted in a very respectful way, emanating from respecting the agency, and I think, but you elected, you elected to choose a phantom Saudi source. Sourcey source, if I can do it as British as I could. <laughs> but if you have question, direct it to others, but not me. I'm not talking to Reuters. Until you respect the source, which is the energy minister, on behalf of the Saudi government. Okay, thank you. I won't ask so you will ask questions to any of my colleagues. Is that it? Okay, yeah. So... So, yeah, I know it might have been a little bit hard to understand, but basically he's pissed at Reuters because he's claiming they, like, wrote an art, a long article with anonymous sources who claimed, like, you know, he was fucking, he and the Russian guys were jamming up to do something together, and he was basically saying, well, why don't you talk to me and not some anonymous source? So uh, they didn't like that. So is that all? I have another article here, but I don't think I'm going to get to it. Um yeah, th let me just, uh, the headline is, I recommend this article. Uh, guys, Google this headline. Europe's energy crisis exposes old fault lines and new power dynamics. And this is all about um, Germany trying to tackle spiraling energy costs. And they think it's undermining the effort to lower fuel prices for the wider EU. But uh, again, a very long and kind of boring article. So let's move on. Is that all I have for that, for Christ's sake? Yes, it is. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, let's do something fun. I know that was a long way on Ukraine. So, you know, I love this. I love the British tabloids. One of my favorites is The Sun. And here's a great headline in their sports section. Here we go. Well-endowed Arsenal star had 30 pebbles stuffed inside penis by teammate while passed out drunk. <laughs> Arsenal, if you don't know, is a uh, very famous British Premier League soccer team, or football, if you will. And uh, this is, uh, judging by his uniform, this is a... Uh, Oh, yeah, this is a long time ago. Oh, this is even longer than I thought. So this is a guy named Colin Pates. And he was a Arsenal star, big soccer, big uh, British star. And apparently he passed out after a night of drinking. He is now 61 years old, so that tells you how long ago it was. Apparently he had fallen asleep on a sofa in the lobby of the Meon Valley Country Club near Southampton after a heavy drinking section session in the early 1990s. And a fellow Arsenal player at the time, Jimmy Carter, seized the opportunity to play a prank on Pates. <laughs> he then stuffed 30 pebbles inside Pates's foreskin, <laughs> leaving him with this big fucking heavy weight. Apparently, this just came out during some podcast, and, and a guy backed it up, so this is, this is true, because another teammate, David Hillier, uh, confirmed. And he said, yeah, in the reception area, Colin Pates fell asleep on this chair, this lounge, and uh, he said, I don't know how it happened, but in the morning, Colin Pates wakes up on this chair, and Colin Pates had uh, a, he was uh, quite gifted in the old department, right? 
But he had a foreskin. So Jimmy Carter, and I'm reading right from the transcript, decided he'd fill it. You know those little balls you get that they put around artificial plants like little fucking marbles? He put about 30 of them in Patsy's foreskin. So everybody coming in the hotel saw him because he's passed out. And this guy calls it refers to Pates' penis as the old man. He says, his old man's out. It's full of these things in the end of it that Jimmy's stuffed into it. What did I tell you guys about the Brits, dude? Like that to like in America, you would get you might be murdered if you did that to somebody. You, you tell me a guy pulled your dick out while you're passed out. That's sexual assault already. I know I'm so fucking prude. And then you fucking shoved a bunch of rocks into the dick, into the foreskin, like and to them they don't think that's like a big deal. So weird. Why are you weird, British people? Stop fucking grabbing your friend's dicks. I don't know how more plainly I can tell you this. And I'm talking to the Brits. I'm talking to the Aussies. I'm talking to the Canadians. And I'm talking to the South Africans. Four groups that I know for sure don't think it's a big deal to, like, do penis shit. Like, while your friend's sleeping, I'll just, this this would be a good prank, mate. I'm going to take my old Todger here and shove it right in his mouth. Oh, good one. And that's like, it's just good times. It's very fucking weird to me. Okay. What else here? Um, let's go to this California crime. You see this California family that was murdered? This is crazy. Two brothers have been charged in connection with the kidnapping and murder of an eight-month-old baby, her parents, and her uncle. They were found in a rural orchard in California's Central Valley on Wednesday, two days after the family was abducted from a family-owned business. And yes, you can see the actual abduction. They have security camera footage on. It's on Twitter, probably on Instagram. And the man accused of kidnapping and killing them is named Jesus Manuel Salgado. And his brother, Alberto Salgado, has also been arrested on charges of criminal conspiracy. Jesus has been booked on four counts of murder and four counts of kidnapping. Uh, Apparently, Jesus Salgado had driven a truck for this family who ran a trucking business, and he had been fired. And they got into some kind of fucking feud for like a year over text messages and emails and shit like that. And it just... It just quickly escalated, and it got way out of hand. So this was, um, I believe they are a Sikh family, S-I-K-H, the religious um, sect. And the family members are Aruhi Derry, eight months, her mother, Jasleen Kaur, 27, her father, Jasdeep Singh, 36, and the baby's uncle, Amandeep Singh, 39 years old. And they had been reported missing after Amandeep Singh's truck was found on fire in Winton, California, about 10 miles north of Merced. They tried to contact Singh. They were not able to reach him. And then they determined that all four had been kidnapped from the family's trucking business in Merced, which, if you don't know, is about 140 miles southeast of San Francisco. And, yeah, you can see the surveillance footage showing uh, Jazdeep and, and Amandeep leaving the building with their hands apparently zip-tied behind their backs as a man with a gun leads them to the back seat of a pickup truck. And then he leaves them in the truck. He comes back in a few minutes, and he, then he got the, the chick and the baby. 
Detectives received information on Tuesday that one of the victim's ATM cards had been used at a bank in Atwater, California, and that's how they kind of caught up to him. Before law enforcement officials could contact Salgado, he tried to kill himself. So he was taken to the hospital. He was sedated. So they, they really don't have a lot of answers right now. But but this is great. Jesus Salgado had been convicted of a robbery in 2005 that involved a firearm and false imprisonment. He was paroled in 2015. Yep, very sad story. You know, I always read those stories. This is a side note where a, a guy with a gun, like, ties people up, right? I've done enough stories, you guys. If a guy with a gun like tells me to get on my knees or wants to put zip ties around, I'm fighting. You have to. You, you fucking cannot take... You're, you're just going to go out like that? I'm not going out like that. I'll, I'm gonna, I don't care if the gun's fucking right in my head. I'm going to try to try to do something because in my mind, the second those zip ties go on my wrists behind my back, I'm I'm dead. So I just would not personally... I'm not, I'm not going to allow somebody to do that to me. I've done too many of these stories where... You know, robbers tell fucking guys to get on their knees, and they do, and then they get shot in the back of the head. I'm just not going to do it. Okay. And then this other crime. This is a crazy one, too. Let's talk about the Las Vegas stabbing spree. They do have a guy in custody, but a stabbing attack outside a casino on the Las Vegas Strip left two people dead and six others injured, and this was on Thursday. A suspect is in custody. He used a large knife with a long blade. Three of the victims were in critical condition along with the two dead, and the others appeared to, to be okay. The two victims who were killed were Brent Allen Hallett, 47, and Maris Marine DiGiovanni, 30 years old. Apparently, this was a, some showgirls. She was a showgirl. And... This was in the middle of the day, 11.42 a.m., South Las Vegas Boulevard, right on the Strip, right near the Wynn Las Vegas Casino. And it began suddenly as the assailant stabbed two people on a sidewalk before heading south and stabbing five more people and an eighth and a third location, and he then ran off. Witnesses called 911. He, he was taken into custody right off the bat. And apparently what they do here, because a, a witness said he was on vacation with his wife and they were on their way, and they passed by four women that he described as showgirls. And it, he said about 10 seconds after passing the women, he heard a loud scream. He turned around. He saw a woman on the ground in a pool of blood. And he said it happened like in a flash of an eye. So, so from what I'm gathering here, what they do is they have these showgirls go out. I think I want to say I have seen this. Usually I'm inside gambling and at the bar. I, I really don't even go outside when I go to Vegas, which I despise. If I go to Vegas, I'm going to stay up for 24 hours, gamble, get drunk, get wasted, and then I'm going to go home. But they have these showgirls like out on the curbs, like in their full regalia. And any fucking, I mean, did did they have security? Maybe the 47-year-old guy was the security. But like, I hope they would not release showgirls out on the strip just standing there with like no security in Vegas with the vagrants. And sure enough, here's your update. We got a twofer. The stabber is 32-year-old Yoni Barrios. Not only is he a vagrant, he is an illegal alien. <laughs> it's fucking shocking to me, dude. And actually a threefer, he is also a convicted criminal. That's right. He's a Guatemalan national in the United States illegally with a criminal record in California. That's according to a source of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Fox News and others did this story. 
and it's fucking horrible. Oh, here we go. Here's more details. Berrios allegedly began his rampage after a group of showgirls refused to take a picture with him. Okay, so this creep walks up to him, this stinky vagrant, and they were like, nah, dude. And then he fucking went after them. Oh, he, he said he was a chef. And because they probably saw him fucking with his blade in his waistband or whatever. <sighs> Horrible, dude. Yeah. And and where was that criminal record? And and what and what uh, fucking institution in California let him go without notifying ICE that he was the illegal alien? Because remember, we have a lot of sanctuary. We're a sanctuary state. Even the local sheriffs aren't supposed. Even if they want to, they're not supposed to report you being in the country illegally to ICE. So. Any, any fucking anybody want to talk? Which metropolitan jail let him go? Which prison let him out without notifying ICE? Which sheriff let him out without notifying ICE? Love to dig in with that. Be nice if we had an actual media and not the fucking stupid media we have. Who all they care about is Trump. Fucking, it's just tragedy, dude. Over and over again. All right. Um... Speaking sort of of our legal system, I wanted to do this story. As you guys know, my governor, Gavin Newsom, has been tirelessly working to bring down gas prices. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He hasn't. No, but what he has been doing is signing bills, one of them outlawing the use of rap lyrics in court. So... This is interesting and relevant because now a judge in California vac has vacated the murder convictions of two black men this week, finding that the prosecution had most likely injected racial bias into the trial by quoting the men's rap lyrics and repeating their use of a racial slur. Yeah, this is according to court records. And this was the first time a judge found that the use of rap lyrics violated the Racial Justice Act, a state law signed in 2020 that seeks to prevent racial and ethnic discrimination in criminal trials. You believe these fucks? And Governor Gavin Newsom did sign an expansion of the law last week, and he also signed a separate bill that did restrict the use of lap, excuse me, rap lyrics and other creative works as evidence in criminal proceedings. So now they think this is going to pave the way for lots of similar challenges. Um, the convictions were overturned in Costa Costa, Contra Costa County. Sorry. And in her decision, Claire Meyer of the Supreme Court of Contra Costa County ordered a new trial for Gary Bryant Jr. and Diallo Jackson, who were charged with fatally shooting a man named Kenneth Cooper in Antioch, California in 2014. Both men were found guilty of murder and other charges in 2017. They later challenged their convictions, questioning the use of their rap lyrics and Facebook posts at trial. Beginning last year, the men presented... Oh, God, I can't even read this without wanting to vomit. They presented the testimony of an expert in implicit bias and legal rhetoric. An expert in the history, culture, and conventions of rap music and racial bias in the legal system. And an expert in rap music, including content analysis. <laughs> uh, have these guys, have you listened to any rap at all? Most of it's not that deep, dude. It's all about fucking drinking lean. Fucking slanging. Um, so, 
At the time, prosecutors urged the court rightfully to disregard those big air quotes here, experts testimony. And um, so, let me see here. Let me get to the real thing here. Okay, so Judge Meyer, she said uh, there is, she supported the men's argument that whether purposefully or not, the prosecution's use of the rap lyrics as evidence of their involvement in the killing and gang membership quote, premise their convictions on racially discriminatory evidence, end quote. Well, that shouldn't be hard. Like, were you? Okay, so she's basically saying, well, yeah, but they, they rapped about being in a gang, so you can't use that against them. What, were they in a fucking gang? And was the gang they rapped about the one they were in? Uh, Bryant and Jackson, the murderers, had argued that during closing arguments, the prosecution had used, quote, racially coded phrases, end quote, that evoked stereotypes of African-American men as criminals with a propensity for violence. The slang terms used by the prosecutor included, quote, pistol whip, drug rip, and down low, end quote, as well as several nicknames. Mr. Bryant never used those terms himself, said Meyer. Hmm. She's saying that each of those slang phrases were introduced into trial in the first instance by the prosecutor. Uh, God, this is just a long fucking... All right. Bryant and Jackson also claimed that the prosecution's repetition of a racial slur that they had used in rap lyrics, which the prosecutor repeated while questioning a police officer who testified at trial, was racially discriminatory. You believe this fuck? Listen to this judge. The judge then agreed that an objective observer could conclude that the repeated use of the racial slur was discriminatory and dehumanizing. She's, he's, he was quoting your own lyrics. <laughs> I love these fucking, I love these cases. And I have another one actually a little bit later. These guys, that's all they do is fucking rap the N-word all day long. And then if it's used out loud, they fucking faint and fucking grab their pearls and slip into the fainting couch. Like, like they're shocked. Like, the mother- motherfucker, you said it like 50 times before you had your first cup of coffee. That is hilarious. So basically the prosecutor during the original prosecution was asking a cop. He was questioning it. And he was saying the rap lyrics that they had written with the N-word repeatedly used over and over again. And these two guys were like, oh, no, that's discrimination. I, I, you've hurt me by that. And the judge says yes. It was dehumanizing. Unbelievable. And then I have a question about this. And then in the case in general. So these guys obviously fucking did it. But I have a question about this case in general. So Gavin Newsom signs this law. I'm sure there are exceptions to it. Basically saying that you can't use lyrics in court. Well, what if the lyrics are... Like, what if the guy, you know... The rap artist, you know, you says he's got like petty theft and, and a criminal background, and a lot of them do, whether you want to agree with it or not. A lot of them do. So you know, what what if what if you do what if you do a case where the the guy lay you find a body and then you listen and you suspect the guy already and then you fucking figure you listen to his lyrics and it's like exactly what you found, you know, you know, and the guy's like rapping, and he's like, you know, I got a. I put two in his head. He lay dead in his bed. I dragged him to the shed. BK is one of the great rap artists of our time, obviously. That's just off the top of my head. I can freestyle. Right? So so you hear so you find a body in the shed with two bullets in his head that was dragged from a bed. 
Is it so then you can't use the lap lyric lap rap lyrics which describe the crime exactly? And perhaps that is the exception. I don't know. I've not read the bill. So I'm just curious about like how fucking strict this is gonna be. Anyway, fascinating story. Let's go to something more fun. God damn it. Let's talk about the Southwest Airlines captain who exposed his genitals. You guys remember that? Yeah, this was last year. And this was uh, the ex-pilot, Captain Michael Hawk, H-A-A-K. Well, a Southwest Airlines pilot is now suing the airline as well as her union and Michael Hawk himself. This is First Officer Christine Janning. She filed the lawsuit in Circuit Civil Court in Orange County, Florida. This is in late September. And she's alleging that Southwest Airlines retaliated against her when he made when she made the complaint about convicted ex-pilot Michael Hawk. And she's uh, her lawyers are accusing Southwest Airlines of negligent supervision of him, creating a hostile work environment against her and everything else. Remember, this is back in August of uh, 2020. And Hawk was slapped with a $5,000 fine and sentenced to 12 months of probation after he admitted performing a lewd, indecent, or obscene act during his last flight in command before he retired in August of 2020. You guys bringing a bell on this? I didn't know these details, though. I covered it for sure. But the civil complaint, now the, the chick, Janning, the first officer, she was in there with him. And she alleges that he bolt-locked the cockpit door. Ugh, not politically correct. You're supposed to call it the flight deck, I believe. In violation of federal law. He then stripped off his clothing and pleasured himself in front of Janning while watching pornography on his laptop. And yes, it's claimed that the incident lasted for more than 30 minutes. And yes, he did finish. Always my question, he did finish. Janning said she took photographs for evidence. This is guy out of his fucking mind. Hawk has maintained throughout that what happened in the cockpit was consensual and started off as a joke. Several months passed after the incident before Janning made a formal complaint of sexual harassment to the airline. She says Southwest refused to initiate an internal investigation because Hawk had already retired. Okay, so I see. What, so this is the last flight, right? And he's like, fuck this. The, the thing that kills me is he stripped off his clothes. Like, dude, you could have just, like, pulled it out. <laughs> Done it underneath your pants. No, dude. Dude fucking strips. Ay, ay, ay. And, uh... <clears throat> It's not the first time for Hawk, though. In 2008, he allegedly sexually assaulted a flight attendant in her hotel room. In another incident, he reportedly exposed his genitals to flight attendants after a flight. Hawk's attorney denies that there were any previous incidents at all. That is fantastic. I cannot believe... Like, dude, she... I, I don't want to cast dispersions. But do you think the chick... Do you think she, like, was giggling a little bit at first because... If she had been, like, fucking horrified and stern, like, right off the bat, would the dude have... I mean, maybe he would have, I'm not saying, but do you think he fucking would have gotten naked, opened his laptop, started watching the gangbang, and then fucking jacked it, and then fucking came, dude? And then where did he come? Where did he jizz? Tell me he did not jizz all over the flight controls, please, for the love of God. Hopefully he just jizzed into his sock or something, his captain's hat. 
Wow. That's great detail, though. Very good. Okay, guys, let's do this story. Let's talk about Herschel Walker, who is rapidly appearing to be one of the worst political candidates I've ever seen. But that doesn't matter. You know, all that matters, and I said this during the Roy Moore. Remember when Roy Moore, that judge, that creepy judge, was running? And I was like, people really don't care what you do. They just want you to vote the way they want you to. And that's true for many politicians. But Herschel Walker, man, like, it kills me who the Republicans elevate. You know, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker. And they grab these guys because they're like, well, they'll fame it. they're famous, so they'll probably win. It doesn't matter how, like, fucking stupid they are or how bad of political candidates they are. Well, yes, the news came out that Herschel Walker urged a woman to have an abortion, right? So that can, And he's now positioning himself as a pro-lifer and against abortion. Well, now it's come out that he's urged a woman to have a second abortion. And this is from the same woman. Right, and again, Herschel Walker, if you know, very famous NFL football player, and he's running for uh, the Senate seat in Georgia. This article was written by three New York Times reporters. <laughs> it's funny. So yes, a woman has said that Herschel Walker, the Republican Senate nominee in Georgia, paid for abortion in t- 2009, and. She also told the New York Times that he urged her to terminate a second pregnancy two years later and that they ended the relationship after she refused. In a series of interviews, the woman said that Mr. Walker had barely been involved in in their now 10-year-old son's life, offering little more than court-ordered child support and occasional gifts. And this is, you know, this, the thing is, this wouldn't be a big deal if you were, if you were, running as like a maybe a, like a born again or kind of you know like hey I, I sinned in the past and now I see the mistakes and but he never acknowledged this at all he's anchored his campaign as an appeal to the social conservatives of Georgia he's said he's an unwavering opponent of abortion even in cases of rape and incest and the former football star publicly denied that he even knew her he called her quote some alleged woman end quote in a radio interview That's stupid, too. Why would you deny that you know her? They can easily fucking probably find pictures of you hanging out with her. That's what I'm saying. This is so stupid. But she said she's, uh, in interviews, she's frustrated watching Republicans rally around Walker, calling him a good man. And the interviews and documents provided to the New York Times together corroborate and expand upon an account about her abortion, first published on Monday in the Daily Beast. And they independently confirmed details with custody records filed in family court in New York and interviewed a friend of the woman to whom she had described the abortion and her eventual breakup with Mr. Walker. So the key details are that she and Walker conceived a child in 2009, decided not to continue the pregnancy. Walker was not married at the time. She provided to the New York Times a $575 receipt she was given after paying for the procedure at an Atlanta woman's clinic and a deposit slip showing a copy of a $700 check that she said Walker gave her as reimbursement. And she had a get well card with a handwritten message, quote, pray you are feeling better, end quote, and signed simply H. And Walker, this is where he, he's repeatedly denied this, and he called it, quote, a flat-out lie, end quote. He disputes he signed the card, and he told Fox News that he sends money to a lot of people, he said, quote, on a radio show, 
quote, I know this is untrue. I know it's untrue. I know nothing about any woman having an abortion, end quote. And they, the New York Times has a picture of the fucking receipt. <laughs> Just, he's running against Senator Raphael Warnock. And, uh, yeah, he's another, and Warnock is another nut. You know, like he like smacked his wife around and shit like that. Of course, the media is all in the Walker story and not really talking about Warnock. So he was involved in a couple of other women at the same time. Now, notably, his son, Christian, he fucking then got involved. And I've played, I've actually played clips of Christian Walker on the podcast before. He's like this flamboyantly gay right wing kid. Big Trump guy, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, right after Herschel Walker announced he would run for U.S. Senate, Christian Walker appeared with him at an event at Mar-a-Lago. And he said, quote, uh, he tweeted out, quote, I had the honor of introducing my dad, then got to hug a future senator. Perfect night, end quote. Christian Walker is a big conservative social media guy. But then after the night that when... um, after Herschel Walker announced he would run for U.S. Senate, he fell largely silent about his father's campaign. Well, this week then, he went off. He wrote of his father, I'm going to play him in a moment, he wrote about his father on Twitter, quote, you're not a family man when you left us to bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill us, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence, end quote. And uh, Christian Walker's 23 years old, by the way. It's very, very, very weird. He, uh, Christian Walker, remember, he's the young black man. He called the George Floyd protests, quote, terrorist attacks, end quote. He is gay, but he does not identify as gay. <laughs> he mocks Pride Month. Uh, remember, I think I played the clip of him in a drive-thru. He got into it with some chick not long ago. I think I played that one. So... Let us play this clip from here and um, from Christian Walker. This video, and the liberal media fucking loves this. This video has been viewed three and a half million times on Twitter. Let's listen to Christian Walker here. I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. Surprise, because it affected me. That's why I talk about it all the time, because it affected me. Family values people, he has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I was silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter, he lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. And so for the right to say I'm being suspicious for saying, hey, I'm I'm done with the lies, when you all have been calling me saying, is this true about your dad? Gosh, we're not going to win Georgia, this candidate. That's been you. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have ended this on day one. We haven't. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've destroyed and act like you're some moral family man. Y'all should care about that, conservatives. And then for people on the left to act as though I'm responsible for all of the things that he has done. 
I've talked about Father Epstein. I've talked all these issues because they've been close to me, because they matter to me, because I went through it. That's why I've talked about it. So when you say, well, talk about your dad, but I am. I'm saying this behavior is atrocious. Don't come for me. You don't have to like my politics. You don't have to like me. You don't have to. I'm just saying I'm done with the lies. We were told at the beginning of this, he was gonna get ahead of his past, hold himself accountable, all of these different things, and that would have been fine, go ahead. He didn't do any of that. Everything's been a lie, everything's been downplayed, everything's been cutting corners, the whole thing. And who, who is, whose expense is that at? Me, my mom, as we're chased down by the media, uh, we're, we're terrorized, all these different things, uh, uh, people are questioning my authenticity, I'm done. Don't lie, don't put this on me. You, this is a candidate issue, not a me issue. I wouldn't have spoken out if there weren't all these lies every day. Okay, so that's, and then he followed it up with more video. And, and that's the thing I don't get. Like, if you're going to run at this, you know, come out and, like, you, what, did he not have a fucking campaign manager even before he announced he was running? Did he not have a guy sit down with him and be like, Herschel, they're going to go through every fucking bit of your background. Is there anything you want to tell me? And if you're going to run as this pro-life warrior, fine. You should probably fucking mention that you paid for an abortion. And you'd still be fine if you just, like, maybe if you ran, you're like, hey, you know what? Um, I'm very pro-life because, unfortunately, you know, like 12 years ago, whenever it was, I, uh, in, I, I kind of panicked. And I thought that was the right thing to do. I deeply regret it. But it's part of my past. And that's now why I'm so pro-life. Or something like that. Then it would have been fine. But the fucking idiot... Is there going, no, it never happened. <laughs> it's just, I don't get it. Uh, well, so, but they won't care. They just don't want, they want a uh, Republican. So there you go. Okay, let's keep going. All right, uh, let's talk um, about, what I want to do here? Let me go to our, I've got a higher education roundup. I've got a few great stories. Let's start with Columbia University. It happened again. Another fucking university gynecologist who abused women. Columbia University has agreed to pay $165 million to victims of a former doctor, Robert A. Hayden. He pleaded guilty in 2016 to abusing 19 women, but he got no prison time. He's now currently facing federal charges. So this $165 million settlement is with 147 patients of a former gynecologist. Uh, among the people who abused him, remember this name, was Evelyn, I'm sorry, who accused him of abuse was Evelyn Yang. She is the wife of former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. He has not worked for the, as a doctor since 2012. So now he is awaiting trial on federal charges of enticing and, and inducing women, including a minor, to travel from outside New York to his Manhattan offices to engage in illegal sex acts. That's why the feds are involved. So one lawyer representing the victims who said this settlement is scratching the surface. He says he represents nearly a dozen additional women who Columbia has refused to even address. The investigation began in 2012 after a patient told the police that then-Dr. Haddon touched her sexually during an examination. Six women then came forward with similar allegations. In 2014, he was indicted on charges that included five counts of a criminal sexual act, two counts of forcible touching, and two counts of sexual abuse. But in a deal with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, Haddon pleaded guilty to a single felony count of criminal sexual... Sorry, guys. Fucking ad popped up here. 
a criminal sexual act in the third degree and a misdemeanor account of forcible touching. The prosecutor's office agreed not to seek prison time and promised not to pursue new sexual abuse allegations after him, against him. His sex offender status was reduced so that it would end after 20 years and his name would not be on an online list of offenders. Nice, fu- nice deal. The former Manhattan district attorney then uh, was Cyrus Vance Jr. And this got a lot of scrutiny because Cyrus Vance Jr. was also the district attorney whose office asked for the lowest sex offender status be given to Jeffrey Epstein in 2011. You believe these fucks? Wow. And then I remember this. Yang said in an interview in 2020 with CNN that she had been sexually assaulted during a 2012 exam when she was pregnant. Uh, She said that he basically told her, oh, I think you might need a C-section, and then he grabbed her over to him and undressed her and then examined her internally ungloved. Gross, dude. And this follows USC, the University of Southern California. They have agreed to pay more than $1.1 billion to the former patients of their campus gynecologist. And then you have Larry Nasser, the former doctor for the National uh, Gymnastics Team. Michigan University had to pay $380 million for him. Um, I'm sorry, USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee had to pay that. And, yeah, other university news. A former Northeastern employee, the the college, has been charged with creating a hoax over a campus explosion. <laughs> he was arrested in San Antonio, Texas, on charges of staging the package explosion on September 13th and provided f- providing false information to the police. Jason Duhame, the former new technology manager and director of the Immersive Media Lab at Northeastern, Uh, was charged with one count of intentionally conveying false and misleading information related to an explosive device and making false statements. So the day of the incident, this 45-year-old Duhame guy, he called 911, and he described very sharp objects hitting his hands from a plastic case where he also found a violent note that threatened a lab. Well, the FBI came and bomb technicians came. No sharp objects were found. And... The affidavit also wrote that an identical copy of the violent note was found in a backup folder on a university-owned computer in Duheim's Northeastern office. (laughs) Idiot. What is that? That story came and went quickly. Uh, Also, the University of Arizona professor shooting. And one of you guys uh, told me uh, your, your dad was a professor at the U of A and you knew all about this. A judge has ordered 46-year-old Murad Dervish held without bond in the killing of that university U of A professor on Wednesday. They say Dervish killed Dr. Thomas Meixner. Could be Meixner, M-E-I-X-N-E-R. Dr. Thomas was the head of the Department of Hydrology and Atmospheric Sciences. Dervish had studied there, and he had been expelled. Wow. Dervish has a history of violent behavior going back to a domestic violence case in San Diego 11 years ago, as well as a stalking and harassment case in the same year filed by a female student at San Diego State University, where he was teaching. Wow. He shot the professor four times with a 9mm handgun, and um, 
he worked at the hydrology department until he was fired last year. So he wasn't even supposed to be there. So somebody saw him at the building and called the cops, but it was too late. And he had been evicted from the small department, a small apartment he lived in just 10 days before for non-payment of rent. So fucking scumbag loser. Meanwhile, Purdue University, uh, they had a student there who fatally stabbed his roommate. Yep. Um, this is, yeah, I'm just, uh, looking at the, uh, the guy's picture here and is there an updated version? Sorry guys, bear with me here. I'm just looking and make sure the, I just want to see the update here and he stabbed his roommate. He admitted it. And now he's saying something about blackmail. He's made his first court appearance. And this is Ji Min Shah. He was asked why he killed his roommate, 20-year-old Varun Cheda. Shah said, quote, I was blackmailed, end quote, without explaining what he meant by the statement. Hmm. He said he apologized to the family. Shah called police himself, 12.44 a.m., to say he had just killed his roommate with a knife. And, yeah, he was the, the kid was sitting in a chair where cops found him. He was arrested for first-degree murder. Still more. I, I, I wish I had time to get into this, but, guys, I'm begging you to go read. I tweeted this out at Bravo Kilo Actual, but go read this article. Headline, at NYU, students were failing organic chemistry. Who was to blame? Dude, a hilarious article. A respected professor named Maitland Jones Jr., was a contractor. Uh, he taught he taught uh, organic chemistry for decades, first at Princeton and then at New York University. He wrote like a thousand page textbooks, received awards, everything. He's he's uh, he's older now. I think he's I believe he's in his eighties. But basically, there eighty two of his three hundred fifty students are trying to get rid of him, and they said uh, his uh, class is too hard. <laughs> believe this, fucks. So the professor defended himself. He defended his standards because these kids were failing. They wanted to go to medical school, and they were mad at him because they are like, well, if you fail me, I won't be able to get into medical school. And the guy's like, uh, yeah. So university deans terminated Dr. Jones's contract because he was a contract uh, hire, not a full professor like he was at Princeton. So yeah, and he said, dude, he tried to make the tests easier and blah, 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 and the students bitch. And he said, basically, they suck. And, um, but they got rid of him. So now that's a big deal. And then finally, for our higher education update, Texas Wesleyan cancels play after students say use of slur is harmful. This is what I was alluding to earlier when I said these guys with the racial slurs are hilarious. Listen to this. They are halting their production of Down in Mississippi. That's the name of the play. This is about registering voters in the 1960s. The playwright, the guy who wrote it, is black. He said he crafted the language of the play to be historically accurate in representing civil rights struggles, right? But now they're ending it after criticism from students who said racist epithets in the script could contribute to a hostile, unwelcoming environment. Carlisle Brown is the guy who wrote it. And... They, they have a scene in which a white character used a racial slur repeatedly to refer to black people, pretty obviously the N-word. 
And two students who were not even part of the production, one is described as a black woman and the other as a Latinx woman. Yes, the New York Times used my favorite, Latinx. L-A-T-I-N-X. They heard about the scene through word of mouth and then submitted bias reports. So they, they didn't even see it or hear the word itself. Just hearing about it was enough. And just hearing about it was enough for the goofball university's assistant director for student diversity and inclusion to uh, end the program. And this is funny, too. Black students said the explicit language in the play would further aggravate problems on campus that they said did not cater to the needs of a significant population of students of color. 58% of the students at Texas Wesleyan identified as Asian, black, Latino, or biracial. So the majority minority university doesn't cater to them. That's so funny. The students who expressed their concern said that the repetition of the racial slur spoken about a dozen times in the play would have caught them off guard and negatively affected their mental health. <laughs> Somebody check their fucking Spotify playlists immediately. I guarantee you it is filled with songs. Filled with the N-word. This is what I'm talking about. I'm so tired of these guys pretending. Oh, I heard the N-word. Oh, I need my clutching pearls. Meanwhile, they're singing along to it in their car. Just get out of here. Uh, I've spent way too much time on stuff, so let's do a few um, quick stories here. Uh, The Navy is launching an investigation now into the SEAL's tear gas video. You going to see this? Yeah, SEAL recruits being tear gas. Big fucking deal. Unlike the other stuff, this is not a big deal to me. Navy SEAL candidates being blasted with tear gas in order to sing happy birthday so they could not hold their breath. This was recorded last year on San Clemente Island near San Diego. Showed the group of recruits crying out in pain and one man appearing to lose consciousness. Preparing for tear gas exposure is a standard part of training, but uh, regulations say instructors should stand at least six feet away when spraying it to avoid giving burns, and the spray persisted for more than a minute, and you're not supposed to go that long or something like that. The problem is, you guys, this is out in San Clemente Island. There ain't a lot of shit out there. So once you're out there, uh, according to my SEAL buddies, You can kind of, like, do what you want to do. And then this was an amusing one, is too. A uh, Civil War reenactor has planted a bomb at a battlefield after being removed from a unit, according to the feds. A pipe bomb. And this is very weird. 63-year-old Gerald Leonard Drake of Virginia, who used to participate in the annual reenactment at Cedar Creek Battlefield as an actor... He is now accused of trying to sow political discontent and mayhem. He has been arrested and faces 15 charges. He planted a pipe bomb during the reenactment event and mailed a series of letters threatening violence after he was kicked out of his acting unit in Virginia. So this pipe bomb was discovered in a tent during the 153rd anniversary reenactment of that battle. State cops... Uh, rendered the device safe, but the event had to be shut down. And they don't say why he was removed from the unit, like the actor, probably because he's some fucking psycho. And then he started mailing letters. The Battlefield Foundation received a mailed letter addressed to Cedar Creek Battlefield people with Antifa emblems, including black and red flags inside a circle with threatening messages. The letter stated in part that the reenactment needed to be canceled as it, quote, clearly celebrates the war to keep African Americans in chains, end quote, or several hundred purported Antifa supporters, 
quote, will come and disrupt and cause problems for all of those who attend, end quote. That's funny. So basically he was he was trying to um he was trying to fucking so dis he was he was a right winger from what I'm reading here, and he wanted to pretend like Antifa was behind it because he hated Antifa. <laughs> Jeez. So yeah, he's going to jail. All right. Um let's keep going. Oh, another hilarious article. Again, I don't have time to get into, but I want you guys to go read this one as well. Here's the headline. How a dog's killing turned Brooklyn progressives against one another. You have to read this to believe it. Not only is the way the author writes it, but the way the people... Basically, quickly what happened in a fucking very woke part of the city, New York City, a guy who is black and and is a vagrant... He fucking beats a dog to death and throws piss on the dog owner, right? And the dog dies, and everybody knows we all love dogs, right? The cops get him, and uh, so they start like a neighborhood watch thing. They're on the next door app, and then all the fucking white liberals started turning on each other <laughs> because they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't report this because he is a black man, and you know we have a racist society. So they were more worried about the health and comfort of the vagrant than the fact that he threw piss on a woman and beat her dog to death and hit her, by the way. So go fucking read it. It's a laugh. Every line is more hilarious than one before. Investigators believe they have enough evidence to charge Hunter Biden with tax and gun crimes. Oh, my God. The libs were losing it over this. This was according to Washington Post, too. This wasn't some fucking right-wing website. Yeah, they think they can indict the younger Biden. It is now up to the U.S. attorney in Delaware who was appointed by former President Trump. Um, So, yes. You know, this is all about the laptop and gun crime. The potential gun charge can be traced back to 2018 when Biden was using crack. And uh, he claimed that he was not while filling out a federal form to purchase a handgun. Yeah, and then Hallie Biden, Hunter's late older brother, Bo's widow, and later Hunter's girlfriend, hid the weapon from Hunter in October 2018 because she said she was scared he would use it. He reacted to this by calling her a fucking asshole. And if you want to go read them all, the Daily Mail has an exclusive, and they have all the emails, texts, and photos some of the other stuff, though, is more... You might be like, well, that's nobody. Who, who's going to say, like, when they go to buy a gun, oh, by the way, I'm smoking crack, right? But there's other stuff. Um, they Some of the other things are failure to declare income from foreign business deals, which is a you know much more tax evasion offense. <laughs> so if you guys want to see the pictures of the Daily Mail... Uh, that one is titled Exclusive Shocking Evidence Against Hunter Biden Revealed. Emails, texts, and photos that could land President's son in federal prison for blah, blah, blah. So go check that out. And I'm looking at a picture of Hunter right now. He's standing nude, as he likes to do. His dick is blurred out. He's, it's like a side profile picture, and he's holding his gun. Finger on the trigger, by the way. <laughs> and then, yeah, you see the original firearm transaction record, and there it is. You can see that he, uh, he checked the box no, where it's like, uh, yeah, do you smoke crack? <laughs> That's not the question. It was like, are you use drugs? So go check that one out. Okay. 
Uh, big story here. Let's go to some immigration stuff. Appeals court has said DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is illegal. We knew this from day one, of course. That is the program that protects nearly 600,000 young illegal immigrants from deportation. <clears throat> and a three-judge panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit Court affirmed a 2021 lower court decision that said, yes, this was not legal by the president to do unilaterally. And, and even, remember Obama said at the time, he said, yeah, I can't do this. It has to go through Congress. And then he did it anyway, which is smart. And this is what fucking Trump should have done on a lot of stuff. You just do it because now the precedent is set and you get away with it while it goes through the courts for a fucking decade. And I'll tell you what's going to happen here. They're going to be like, well, these guys are already here now and it's been fucking 10 years, 12 years, whatever. So we're just going to forget the whole thing. So what's the lesson there? Just do it and let the courts figure it out, and that'll take a decade or more. Yep, so the Biden administration will appeal this, no doubt. And they're they're trying to enroll new applicants in it. But that's always been my question. Like, this was all about Obama doing it way back when. And I've always questioned, like, well, are they still enrolling applicants? Is this an ongoing program or was it just the one-time thing? And apparently Biden has been trying to re-enroll people in it. But the courts have said no. And this was Congress's job. Former President Obama created DACA through executive action in 2012. It was intended as a stopgap measure to provide hundreds of thousands of young immigrants protection from deportation. The protection lasts two years at a time and is renewable. It does not offer a path to citizenship. Now, immigrants on the DACA program are on average 26 years old. The oldest is nearing 40. Most of them were brought from Mexico. And remember, Trump tried to end it. The Supreme Court in June 2020 ruled against him trying to end it, but they did not rule on whether the program had been legally adopted. So one of Biden's first actions in office was to strengthen the DACA program, but then the 2021 Texas court ruling renewed the uncertainty surrounding it. Wednesday, the judges wrote that while they agree that the lower court that the DACA program was not legal, they, quote, also recognize that DACA has had profound significance to recipients and many others in the 10 years since its adoption, end quote. So basically... Yeah, it's illegal, but we're not going to do anything about it. And also border-related, Mexico's cartels, by the way, are making more money trafficking people across the border than drugs. Holy shit, this is a huge fucking number. Yeah, they're talking to a uh, think tank. You know how much the cartels have made from trafficking migrants across the borders? How about $13 billion? Billion with a B. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Yep, they, they get paid, the cartels get paid up front, then the migrant makes it in the U.S., and they tax them for that as well. That is fucking insane, dude. Yeah, more valuable than drugs. And then this was great. Did you guys see that uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, demand? he's demanding now that Joe Biden gets a grip on the illegal aliens? He declared a state of emergency after getting a whopping 17,000 illegal aliens in New York City. That's like what? Like what Yuma and Texas get in like a couple of days? It's costing them $1 billion so far for the 17,000 people in 
New York City. I've got a few clips here. This is fucking comedy gold. Let's listen. To, and remember, Eric Adams notoriously was like, oh, yes, we're Sanctuary City. We welcome all immigrants, legal or otherwise. So all the governors are like, okay, here's a couple thousand. And now he's squealing about it. Let's listen to Eric Adams here. We're talking about potentially 100,000 people going into uh, uh, next year, months away. And we're going to continue to pivot, shift, modify to address the crisis. We never thought we would be at a point uh, where we have to build out the hercs that we're building out. Uh, but with the lack of hotel space, you know, we indicated the number of emergency hotels that we opened. Uh, we know that as this crisis continues to grow without help, we're going to have to continue to use the uh, brain power of those who are standing next to me to continue to modify and shift accordingly. And the real challenges that we're having, which is very fascinating, is that as very we try to find hotels... I cannot tell you how many council people, local electics that are yelling house people, but saying not in my district. <laughs> that's you funny. You have it both ways. Yeah, that's right. You can't. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. They're all like fucking woke and progressive in New York's all the council people. Oh, yes. No human is illegal. Uh, we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. Right. All that shit. And then the second Eric Adams wants to put a bunch of fucking illegal immigrants there, they scream bloody murder. This is the best thing, honestly, that Greg Abbott and DeSantis did. Oh, and by the way, hold on. Let me hold that thought. I have another clip from Eric Adams. And this is rich. Let's listen to this one here. Because I'm angry. I am angry, too. We have not asked for this. There was never any agreement to take on the job of supporting thousands of asylum seekers. This responsibility was simply handed to us without warning. Oh, oh really? As buses began showing up. Oh, okay. That's too bad. There's no playbook for this. No precedent. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, he's angry. Oh, you never asked for this? Do you think fucking Texas and Arizona and California, you think they asked for it? I mentioned DeSantis and Martha's Vineyard. Remember, that was 48 people total, right? Well, El Paso is run by Democrats. The Daily Mail had a great story on this. That El Paso's Democrats, they've bust thousands of migrants north, and they've used federal money, right? DeSantis used state money. And the media hasn't said a word. Not a fucking word, dude. El Paso gets 1,500 illegal immigrants daily. But because... El Paso officials called their busing program a, quote, humanitarian effort, end quote. The media has ignored it. And indeed, they've, if they have noticed it, they've praised it. So do you see the fucking hypocrisy? Because they hate Ron DeSantis, they sent reporters to Martha's Vineyard, and all the good white liberals of Martha's Vineyard filmed themselves, giving them bowls of cereal before having them bust out the next day, which was comedy. Look how compassionate we are. We got theory that we're so compassionate. That's what they told each other. And, and it was the same shit. The people of Martha's Vineyard, like, we don't have the infrastructure for this. And I was like, well, El Paso didn't have the infrastructure. Eagle Pass didn't have the infrastructure. Yuma didn't have the infrastructure. You know what they had to do? They had to build some infrastructure. So why don't you, Martha's Vineyard, put up a few tents? You can build your own infrastructure. But yeah, thousands El Paso's bust out. Nobody said a peep. Nobody on Twitter, none of the blue check fucking journalists fucking said that was wrong. 
hilarious. Okay, let's get to a few funny. Uh, let's get some coach stories or coach related. A former California athletic trainer whose father was a legendary high school football coach is accused of sexually abusing teen football players dating back more than a decade, according to a new lawsuit. This is at Colton High School. And this has to do with high school trainer Tiffany Strauss-Gordon. And the sexual abuse of the minors took place all over the campus, according to one of the attorneys suing her. He said of the sexual abuse, quote, that would include the locker room for the varsity football players, training rooms, weight rooms, classrooms, bathrooms, in vans to football-related events, and at a few homes, end quote. <laughs> this chick was banging football players constantly. That is fucking hilarious. Yep. And uh, and now the lawyers are playing pretend by acting like, oh, yeah, this was fucking such a horrible... Se- These players are scarred for life. <laughs> like, like some 16-year-old fucking 250-pound football player. Yeah, he's really going to object to the uh, decent-looking trainer fucking blowing him. Get out of here. This took place from 2001 to 2007. And she had intercourse and gave oral sex to the teen boys. And... Uh, Yeah, fucking very, very funny shit, dude. Because now the lawyers suing her because they want to get paid. They're like, uh, oh, yeah, this this has ruined their lives. (laughs) I'm like, these kids were not like five-year-old boys. They're like grown men, practically. It's not the same as when a man does it to a young girl. I know nobody likes to say that out loud, but we all know it's true. And then meanwhile, I remember doing this story. An ex-Huntsville basketball coach has pleaded innocent to failure to notify a criminal charge. This was Huntsville junior high basketball coach Caleb Houston. He pleaded innocent on his failure to notify the Arkansas child abuse hotline when he had heard about suspected child maltreatment. What was this all about? You guys might remember this one because it came with a hilarious slang term I had not heard. Yeah, this had to do with the junior high basketball team. And two boys uh, were admitted. According to an investigation, the accused players had placed their genitals in the faces of several 8th and ninth grade boys who were being restrained by other boys in the locker room throughout the games. This practice was called baptism. And another alleged activity, and this is the one I remember, to be taking place in the locker room was called bean dipping. What is bean dipping? This refers to placing a student's rectum and anus on the face and particularly the nose of another student. It's not funny. It's not funny. Uh, Jesus. Uh, rapper Half Ounce has been killed in Los Angeles. I never heard of Half One of you guys made me crack up because you're like, oh, who are you going to have in the intro music? Half Ounce or Loretta Lynn? Yes, Half Ounce, uh, also known as LaTarisha O'Brien, was shot to death in front of an apartment building. They pronounced the 33-year-old dead at the scene. And, yeah, like I said, I never heard of him. But yes, that was Loretta Lynn, the country music star. She has died at 90 years old. Of course, that was Loretta Lynn in the opening music. She died in her sleep at her ranch uh, in near Nashville, about 70 miles west of Nashville. 
She became a wife at 15 years old, a mother at 16, and a grandmother in her early 30s, married to a womanizing, sometime bootlegger who, was, who managed her to stardom. That story made her autobiography called Coal Miner's Daughter a bestseller, and they made an Oscar-winning movie adaptation of the same name. And she was uh, basically the you know, inspiration for many American musical performers, considered an icon in country music, and had many, many hits throughout the years. So <clears throat> great icon of country, Loretta Lynn. Okay, let's keep going. Let's do some uh, more audio clips before I, I have so many tabs open. Let's do some more audio clips before I run out of time. Let's start with this one. Did you guys see the fishing scandal that went viral on TikTok? This was at Gordon Park in the Cleveland Metro Parks on September 30th. So this is a fishing competition, and it's done by uh, weights. And they, they, they measure how many fish you catch, and they weigh them, right? So this was... Uh, a third, there were 32-person teams competing in the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Tournament in Cleveland Harbor. And a video shows fishermen. What are their first names, guys? No, I don't want to rotate my device. Why is the fuck is that? Sorry, guys. Uh, iPad just acting up on me. So the winners are seen celebrating, right? And the team of Runyon and Comiskey are seen like basically celebrating their victory on this. This was Chase Kaminsky and Jacob Ryan. I'm sorry, Jacob Runyon. And it's now being investigated by the authorities. So the weigh-in for the fishing department, for the fishing tournament, uh, spread quickly on social media. And you can see some people checking the fish out and they're trying to like weigh the fish and they say like they found lead weights in the fish which is because they're weighed by catch you know that made a huge red flag the fishing tournament's director told the local media outlet that walleye typically caught in lake erie in late september weighed four to five pounds when the fish caught by kaminsky and runyon weighed 7.9 pounds fisher told the newspaper i thought no way so then he squeezed the fish and felt something hard inside. He then cut open the fish and found two 12-ounce metal balls inside. They, like, called the cops and everything. And then this quickly went viral on social media. I'll play the clip. There's just a lot of screaming, but maybe you can hear some of it. Let's listen to this. Get out of Everybody listen to me right now. Jake, I want you to leave. I don't want anybody to touch these guys. I want you to leave. Jason, you should call the cops. It's them. It's them. You fucking this is bullshit. You fucking fucking Don't we need to file a police report? Yeah, I would. Jason, we gotta file a police report. Pulling the steel weights out. Jason, 
fucking champ, dude. I mean, we all fucking knew it. What the fuck, man? Fuck yeah, they've been doing this whole fucking time. You got it. A filleted fish. Look at this. Is a filleted, yeah. A filleted fish. It's a walleye fillet. Yeah, so anyway, they, they yeah, he even stuffed a fillet of fish inside another one as well. So pretty crazy shit. Uh, other audio clips. The uh, trial of Daryl Brooks is going on right now. Who's that? That's the fucking guy who drove into the crowd in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. They had a police sergeant testify. And let's listen to some of this testimony here. What did you do once you got to your squad? Uh, I got squad. in the squad car. Your squad. Um, it was bombarded with um, the most terrible. Um, composing himself on the stand. Come on. I worked through it, man. He's just like shaking his head and kind of like looking down. This is a police sergeant, uh, Warner. <clears throat> the most terrible thing I ever heard. The sounds. Yes. You didn't see anything at that point as far as people getting hit? No. Okay. Yeah, so he had to basically, like, compose himself and uh, fucking... It must have been awful. I mean, first responders, Jesus. What the shit that they have to put up with and see. Uh, there was a uh, Senate debate in Arizona, and they decided to have the libertarian candidate chime in named Mark Victor, and he started talking about age of consent. I mean, I haven't we heard are a constitutional thing. republic, not an unrestricted democracy. Today, everything is up for a vote. Very little should be up for a vote. Like, for example, who should represent the good people of the state of Arizona? That should be up for a vote. What should the age of consent be? This is something that reasonable minds disagree on. That should be up for a vote. But everything else that we are voting on that has anything to do with your body, your property, your money, your time, that's what freedom is about, folks. None of that should be up for a vote. I don't know if that's the hill I'm going to die on. I know what he's trying to say, but maybe think of a different example. Uh, the two main candidates are Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. He's the incumbent, and he's being challenged by Republican Blake Masters. Uh, this was the clip that was going around. Let's listen to this part I've of the debate. I've been focused on the border since day one on this job. I'm down there all the time. That's I was Kelly. on the phone this week just you know, with Mayor Nichols of Yuma, Sheriff Daniels of Cochise County, talking about what more we need for Border Patrol and immigration. That, my friends, we're is working, called invasion. We're, we're, we're working to raise Border Patrol pay by 18, 18%. I've got legislation to do that. I've been focused on the border since day one. Okay. You, I, you know, we have no great effects because we have a wide open southern border. So if that's the best you it, can do, I respectfully request you resign. Been, and let's get someone in the seat who will actually secure our border. Yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, dude, it's all nice. I love the Border Patrol. I have many Border Patrol listeners. And yes, I'd love for them to get more pay. 
Uh, more pay is not going to stop the prosecutors and the policies of releasing them into the United States, though. That's the issue. It's not their fucking pay, <laughs> goofball. And then remember hapless fucking Jacob Fry? You guys remember that name? He is the Minneapolis mayor during the George Floyd riots, and I played many clips of him getting chased around by protesters, a bunch of stupid... He's one of these white fucking liberal soy boys. He held a news conference about guns. Let's listen to this beauty. In the Twin Cities, in Minneapolis, where it is easier to buy a gun than a fresh apple. Now, why is that? Because there aren't gun shops in Minneapolis. You don't have a gun. Okay, so the, the, you have to go watch that clip because Keith Ellison, the attorney general, is standing next to him, and as soon as he says it's easier to buy a gun than an apple, you see Keith Ellison just, like, blink, like, really wide and look around to his side like, what the fuck did this cracker just say? Uh, here's a little roundup of Kamala Harris. She enjoys Venn diagrams. Let's listen to Vice Venn President. Venn diagrams, those three circles. Right. And then let's just see where they overlap. You will not be surprised because I have constructed a Venn diagram on this. Remember those three circles, how they overlap? Yeah, I do. love Venn diagrams. So <laughs> I just do. Whenever you're dealing with conflict, pull out a Venn diagram. <laughs> so, you know, the three circles. And so I, so I, I asked my team, right? They're I'm fantastic. Out right now that he sees the Venn diagram of it all. He sees that there are those circles and mm -hmm. maybe people seem that they're a little different. They live in different parts of the country. They may be different age or different race. But that area in the middle, that overlap. And I asked my team to do a Venn diagram of where these attacks are happening. So voting rights, women's reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights. And of course, there was a huge intersection. You know, I asked my team to do a Venn diagram for me of where we are seeing attacks and who are the attacks against and the similarity. And when you look at a diagram of the, uh, it, just a Venn diagram in that regard, it, it tells a, a real tale. Thank you, Miss Vice President. You know, if Joe fucking Biden keels over, that's, that's what you're going to get. I just want to let you guys know. All right, starting around time. We got to do quick headlines now. Um, First of all, Uganda is racing to contain a deadly Ebola outbreak. Yep, caused by a strain from, for which there is no approved vaccine or drug in drug treatment. And it has already caused 35 confirmed infections and 7 deaths. So, we, the U.S., has started screening air passengers from Uganda for Ebola. So far, there are no cases in the United States. But yes... Travelers who had been to that country would be re redirected to airports where they can be screened for the virus. Uh, oh, by the way, no, no cases have been reported outside Uganda. That movie Bros was pretty... There were a lot of memes on that. That's the uh, gay comedy movie. Uh, it totally bombed at the box office. It's the first gay romantic co comedy from a major studio. So, of course... All of the lib writers were fucking gave it glowing reviews. It got tons and tons of press conference, and it promptly bombed. It got about 40% less than the low end of pre-release analyst expectations on its opening weekend. Universal Pictures spent an estimated 30 to $40 million just to promote this. And then the uh, director and co-writer, Billy Eichner, he fucking went on Twitter and started lashing out at straight people who didn't go see the movie. He used to do that Billy on the street thing where you just ambush people and ask them stupid questions. He himself is gay. 
And then you read the details on it, and it's like had like gay orgy scenes that were supposed to be funny. And this dude is like, "Why won't straight people go see my movie?" It's fucking funny. I mentioned gas prices earlier. U.S. gasoline prices are following crude oil higher. The national average gas price was three dollars and eighty-three cents on Wednesday. I can tell you, uh, I paid six twenty-five the other day, and that's one of the cheaper spots in town. L.A. gas prices have seen an all-time high of six dollars and forty-nine cents a gallon. You believe it's twice? It's twice what it is in Florida, and Florida has been hit by a hurricane. And now, California, stupid Gavin Newsom is saying, like, "Oh yes, we're, we're we we want a new tax on windfall oil profits." Of course, dodging the subject. So Valero Energy responded to Gavin Newsom. And they said, why gas is so fucking expensive here? And I'm reading right from the letter here quickly. From the perspective of a refiner and fuel supplier, California is the most challenging market to serve in the United States for several additional reasons. California regulators have mandated a unique blend of gasoline that is not readily available outside of the West Coast. California is largely isolated from fuel markets of the central and eastern United States. California has imposed some of the most aggressive and thus expensive and limiting environmental regulatory requirements in the world. Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you guys can go uh, Google Valero letter to California. And what, how does Biden respond? He's going to release yet more reserve oil. <laughs> so stupid. He won't fucking drill, but he's draining our fucking strategic oil reserve, which is supposed to be from an emergency. It's not supposed to be because you're politically in trouble because you refuse to expand your domestic trade, uh, domestic energy production. Biden has now said he is going to pardon thousands convicted of marijuana possession under federal law. Do you guys remember right after Trump got elected and I was screaming at him to do this? And the fucking dope never did? Instead, he fucking wanted to give a tax cut to Jeff Bezos. Idiotic. But yeah, he pardoned thousands of people convicted of marijuana possession under federal law and said his administration would review whether marijuana should still be in the same legal category as drugs like heroin and LSD. That's a Schedule 1. The pardons will clear everyone convicted on federal charges of simple possession since it became a crime in the 1970s. Officials said full data was not available but noted that about 6,500 people were convicted of simple possession between 1992 and 2021 not counting legal permanent uh, residents. The pardons will not apply to people convicted of selling or distributing marijuana. And this was the funny, which I called, I knew this was bullshit, and the New York Times notes it. Officials said there are no people now serving time in federal prisons solely for marijuana possession. So so not one person is going to get out of jail. Nobody went to federal prison for just possessing weed without massive, like, priors. So that was always a joke. Um, The ACLU sues a Nevada county over its plan to hand count mail ballots. (laughs) You'd think that would be a no-brainer, right? Forget all mail ballots and vote tallied by hand. In addition to machine tabulation, by the way. But the ACLU is filing a lawsuit against Nye County in Nevada over their move to start hand-counting mail-in ballots two weeks before Election Day. What's wrong with that? Stupid. Our whole voting system is stupid. Uh, The crypto world is on edge after a string of hacks. (laughs) Yep. 
More than $2 billion in digital currency has been stolen in hacks this year. Uh, that's yeah. This is shaking the entire premise of crypto because it's not supposed to happen. And one of them was the Binance blockchain. That was hit by a $570 million hack. They are the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange. I told you guys. And I put this one on uh, Instagram just because it was hilarious. NFT, non-fungible token, that scam, the trading volume has collapsed 97% from the January peak. I fucking told you. I hope none of you put your money into that. All those idiots who paid like a fucking million dollars for a picture of an ape. <laughs> it's so stupid. And then, of course, Kim Kardashian is being forced to pay $1.26 million to settle an SEC charge over her crypto promotion. That's right. She uh, was uh, being sued for not disclosing she had been paid $250,000 to promote a crypto token sold by Ethereum Max. She promoted it as a good investment on her Instagram page in June of 2021. God. I hope none of you morons bought anything that Kim Kardashian fucking sold. Yeah, in her Instagram post, she began by telling her followers, quote, This is not financial advice, but sharing what my friends have just told me about the Ethereum Max token. End quote. And then she's, she was like, oh, yeah, this is a great investment. And then, but she didn't disclose that she was getting paid to do that. All right. Uh, quickly. I forgot to put this one in my stack of border stuff. An Army National Guardsman has been sentenced to prison for trafficking cocaine. Jonathan Zarazusa, 28 years old of Austin, was sentenced September 20th by a federal judge to serve 50 months in federal prison. Um, he pleaded guilty, but uh, yeah, last year in September, he attempted to enter the U.S. through Brownsville. He claimed he was returning from visiting his father in Mexico. They found 6.62 kilograms of coke hidden in a false compartment. At the time of his arrest, he was an active-duty Army National Guardsman. Whoops. All right. And then, um, well, I'm going to save this one. We might have another. It's hard to say. There's a congressional candidate in Minnesota right now. Apparently, he's a former Marine Raider. And it's kind of ambiguous. I'm not calling it Stolen Valor yet, but Republican candidate Tyler Kistner Reportedly, repeatedly suggests he saw combat while in the U.S. Marine Corps, despite military records that say otherwise. But a lot of you guys are telling me that, you know, it, it's actually kind of difficult to get a combat action ribbon in the Marines, and a lot of stuff that is combat is not regarded as combat. So I'm just putting it out there. Make up your own mind. A former NSA staffer. National Security Agency has been charged with espionage after trying to sell information to an undercover FBI agent. That's according to the U.S. Department of Justice. But 30-year-old, um, I'm sorry, 30-year, yeah, he is a 30-year-old. He's an Army veteran, Jera Sebastian Dalkey. He worked at the NSA as an information systems security designer. He used an encrypted email account to transmit excerpts of three classified documents he had obtained during his employment to an undercover FBI agent disguised as a representative of a foreign government. And he was uh, to be paid in cryptocurrency. He allegedly told the agent that he had a debt of $237,000. He asked for a specific type of crypto, and they did send him a few thousand in it. 
but then they arrested him. Uh, and this was, they did name the foreign country. It was for Russia. Bomb parts were found at a hotel where the father was shot dead during a college visit. Yeah, the father of a student at Marist College in Poughkeepsie. Is that how you pronounce that? He was shot to death in the lobby. And then the, the uh, authorities found bomb-making components in the room booked by the two men charged in connection with the killing. Further investigation of the room at the courtyard by Marriott turned up handbooks with instructions on creating explosives. Yeah, this poor dad was fucking just caught in the middle of a crossfire or something like that. And I was like, what the fuck were two guys shooting each other in the lobby? Well, update. First of all, the shooter has been named Roy Johnson Jr., and, uh, yeah, he was supposed to appear in Georgia to face drug and gun charges, and then he was on the run, so that's why he ended up in this fucking hotel, the Courtyard by Marriott in Poughkeepsie. And he did shoot, unfortunately, very sad story, Paul Cutts, 53 years old. And they said it was an unprovoked attack. And guess what? After he was arrested, um... They're not saying anything about the bomb-making equipment, but then, yes, both men are listed as homeless in court documents. Fucking big, shocking surprise. Oh, almost done. Just a few more, you guys, and then I got to call it. Uh, at least 15 killed in latest Ecuador prison riots. Uh, Indonesia police say six people are facing criminal charges over that soccer stampede. I forgot to do that big story, but that was a big one. That killed at least 131 people. I've seen estimates as high as 176. Um, Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen are hiring divorce attorneys. Giselle, give me a call, Bay. Yep, she's fucking still hot. He wants to play football. This one was good. Um, an Arizona man... Turned up for an online date on Tinder only to be robbed at gunpoint for $3,000 led by a couple, 32 and 33, before they led cops on a violent chase through the city. <laughs> and then the other Tinder story, a 22-year-old Colorado woman is arrested after tying up her Tinder date, slashing him with a knife, strangling him, and then ordering DoorDash. And by the way, this is all after giving him oral. <laughs> Lauren Marie Tooley, 22 years old, Met the victim just hours before she invited him over to an apartment where she ended up assaulting him. The man was able to escape and call for help after she fell asleep. And she left a knife under the covers of her bed to allow himself to, to cut himself loose. Hey, you know, I mean, you still got oral out of it. It's not that bad. <laughs> Any other stories I actually absolutely have to get to? I don't have time for Kanye West. Um, yes, guys, I did get the story about the Texas teenager who strangled the two newborns. Clearly a fucking complete psychopath. Oh, and the fake news. Quickly, you guys, before we run out of time. I passed, I played that audio clip last week about Joe Biden telling people to get a COVID shot as the Hurricane Ian neared. That was my fake news because that clip is over a year old. The clip was real, but it was made in August of 2021. It was going around that Biden said that his Hurricane Ian was bearing down. I did not check it because it did kind of match up with hurricanes and said that. So BK always corrects. Rare, rare. Second time ever, I think, that I've ever had to do that. And then finally, you guys, I have to go to the big finish. I'm out of time. 
Here's the headline. Ex-cop sent to jail for forcing his autistic son to masturbate with him. A Hong Kong court sentenced a former policeman to four years in jail on Thursday for repeatedly exposing himself to his underage son, forcing him to watch porn and pleasure themselves together. A jury had found the man guilty of gross indecency towards a child under the age of 16 last month. The boy was between 10 and 12 years old when the abuse occurred. The 48-year-old defendant, identified only by his initials in court, was a police officer from 1998 until his dismissal in 2019. He was said to have verbally taught his son how to masturbate since he was in the first grade. When his son was about 10 years old, he started showing porn to his son on a weekly basis. He also began exposing himself and pleasuring himself in front of his son and inviting him to join. According to the son's testimony, it became a daily activity. <laughs> on, one, on one occasion, he declined as his mother was sleeping in a room in the same apartment. His father threatened him with a knife from the kitchen and forced him to pleasure himself at knife point. Another time... He told his kid that he would show him a real demonstration, so he installed a camera in his own room and live-streamed himself having sex with his wife, the child's mother. He also set an alarm on his son's phone and ordered him to watch the live-stream from his phone. <laughs> the next morning, the father would ask if his performance was, quote, manly, end quote. And yes, the son has been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Guys, that's all I got. I don't even have a response to that. Making your fucking autistic son jacket with you while you watch porn. And watch you fuck your wife and his mom. So, there you go. Guys, go to patreon.com. Support the podcast. Patreon.com. Search for BK Actual. Please consider making a donation. Patreon's been a little stagnant lately. If you've ever thought about making a pledge, buck or two a month, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, help keep the podcast going. Follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and Instagram at BK Actual. And guys, that's all I have for you. Possible. Remember, I will possibly see you next week. I will keep you posted through those social media channels. So possibly see you next week. So don't come home a drinker with lover on your mind.